0: Love Talk Radio. Alright fellas, here we go with
1: the main event of the evening, ladies and gentlemen, and attendants, Hudson Band joining us around the world, it's time for the battle you all
2: been we're waiting for, finally, it's the showtime! Hey, man, we dedicate our lives to this sport, we give, we the the camp. We run We hundreds of miles, you know, for the ones to take it serious. And we just dedicate ourselves fully to our craft, man. We watch tapes. We, 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 you know, we have attitude, we mooding, and we go that fight to land on the to land on the line. podcast i am your host chris carlson we are live on a tuesday night hope everybody's doing okay hope you had a good weekend i know i did there's a lot to talk about from that weekend lots to talk about really um of course a lot of the focus will be on that david benavides caleb plant fight um in the undercard as well it definitely lived up to the billing you know it was one of the best pay-per-view cards we've had in a long long time um, in a meaningful fight in the main event and we'll have fallout from that of course Benavidez and Canelo is getting talked about you know I don't know how likely that is next based off Canelo's plans you know to fight Bivel but you do have um, a morell David Morell, you have Demetrius Andre um, there's a variety of of fights charlo i guess you could throw in there although i don't think that'd be next so yeah there's a variety of things we'll talk about and and of course plant you know he'll probably take a little break and and get back at it there's plenty of fights at 168 for him as well um you know we'll we'll talk about the action of course a lot of people comparing canelo plant and benavides plant um so we'll talk a little bit about that we're not going to spend too much time obviously caleb plant did get stopped, um, you know, against Canelo, but there was some variables in there. Um, the ref was a little different this time, and when I mean a little, that's, that's you know, underselling it. It was way different, and uh, you got to throw in the size of the ring as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk all about it, like I said, including uh, some of the undercard action, and then we'll briefly talk about um, that ESPN card. The the Ramirez kome uh, was a really fun fight. There was some undercard action we'll talk about as well. ProBox TV and some others. Lawrence and Coley put us to sleep, but did handily beat David Light. So we'll talk a variety of stuff. Also, um, Al Dawson, uh, a boxing slash MMA correspondent for Insider is going to join us here in about probably about 12 minutes or something like that 10 or 12 minutes um, he's going to talk about the fight he actually was there live in Las Vegas at the MGM Graham he'll talk about the fight the atmosphere we'll also talk about about a month away from uh, Davis Garcia in and out of the ring and just a variety of other stuff that's always good to have Al on there is some other fight news. Speaking of fight news, uh, it is now official. Haney and Lomachenko will give you a little bit more information as far as the undercard, which uh, it's kind of misleading. Um, it, it's, it says only three fights, but it is a good undercard. But the misleading part is there are some bouts before it. So it's kind of like um, those fox cards where you have two, usually at least two, sometimes one uh, card on Fox, and then it leads into the pay-per-view. So um, we'll talk about that, talk about a variety of other items as well. And, of course, Anthony Joshua makes his return after back-to-back losses on the zone against Jermaine Franklin. We'll see if there's any new wrinkles to his game now with Derrick James. And then Robisi Ramirez against Isaac Dogbe. Um I think it's a really good fight for Ramirez at this stage. That'll be on ESPN. I think it's going to be on ESPN Plus. I should double check that. I don't think it actually is on ESPN. Uh, I just checked my guide before the show, and it didn't didn't have that on there. So, um, and I'll, I'll double check on that. But uh, there is a variety of other items. There's rumors of Conor Ben and Eubank Jr. fighting. <laughs> um, as of right now, it appears that Fury and Usyk is off. For the time being, um, I did get a variety of messages. Um, <laughs> some are just funny. Um, I don't know. Some, like the Timothy Bradley stuff, that Mayweather was ducking Timothy Bradley, um, which is kind of funny that someone took that out of the interview that he talked about. But, you know, I got, I got, I got all sorts of stuff uh, sent my way, and, and we'll talk about a variety of stuff. Um, if this is your first time listening to the rope dope radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash rope dope radio. However, you don't have to go to Blog Talk and rope dope and download the show directly there. That's cool if you do. If not, you can find the rope dope radio platform on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, uh, spricker, stitcher, a whole host of other uh, areas as well. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to the grilling boxing and east side boxing and one more thing, get your T V together without the hassle of cable, direct T V stream, stream the best entertainment and sports starting with seventy five live channels. And for a limited time, save hundred and twenty dollars over the first year when you get any package and buy the Direct TV streaming device, no annual contracts, no hidden fees plus learn how to get premier channels included in the first 3 months with qualifying packages. Sign up today for Direct TV Stream. Okay. So, like I said, I mean that was a, a great card on paper. It definitely lived up to it. You can say as far as just all action I would have to say that uh, Crowley Ramos, which no surprise there, that probably was the best two-way fight Um, as far as just action, action action-packed. Now, Plant and Benavides was definitely two-way. It was just kind of one-way traffic, if that makes sense. Uh, There was plenty of competitive rounds in there, sure, but the first chunk of the fight, Plant was doing his thing. Benavides took over, and... uh, lively crowd you could see that crowd um you know was filling in early for those undercard fights that was a big you know moment for guys like um jesus ramos and and guys like rio as well even though he uh didn't get the cards go his way we'll talk a little bit about that that was a very competitive fight i didn't see colbert or colbert <laughs> colbert um winning six rounds i will that I think that was uh but it was a competitive fight um will they do a rematch? I don't know it's unlikely the way it sounds like uh you know in the ring he was all gung ho was uh, chris colbert Pope. <laughs> but you know he said, oh now he's a poor loser, you know he's a poor sport you know he didn't take his his loss like a man um but he also said he's going back to one thirty to try to get uh you know his belt back and so um, it's probably best for both just to move on. I think Ryo still had a really good night performance just in general. Really good night, in my opinion. And it was a great development fight for him, no matter if you think he got screwed or not. I do think he got, you know, screwed. I think, I think he lost the fight, but I wouldn't call it a robbery. We just have this, uh, just even beyond fanboy stuff, we just have this habit nowadays to call stuff robberies that are competitive fights. I mean, even an 8 to 4 fight, it, I don't know. It's it just some of the, some of the things that people call robberies, dude. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh 7 to 5 fight you hear a bunch of robberies. Obviously, this is a 10 rounder, but um yeah, I didn't see a robbery. But like I said, I also didn't see Chris winning six rounds, to be honest with you. I just don't think those six rounds are there. Uh, but anyway, he did fight hard, and he did clearly win rounds. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have here Allen a little bit. Um, just kind of breaking down Benavidez Plant you know, from the outside looking in. Um, like I said, the crowd was... Nice and loud. It was a great opportunity for David Benavides along with what I was mentioning, Jesus Ramos and, and whatnot on the other card. But he really showed out when it counted. And in the second half of the fight, really the sixth round and on, he took over the fight. Plant had his moments and whatnot. I'm definitely not trying to, you know, take that away from him. But um, it was a, a fight that, you know. Sounds like it did at least three million at the gate, if not a little bit more, somewhere in between three, three and a half. I don't know if it got to four million, but um that's a great crowd. And I know the you know, the usual suspects were saying, Oh, I hope the tickets sell more as if they weren't selling well. Um and this is after they had actually opened up more seats too. So you, you did have the glazier and company even a former co-host of the Ropa Radio, a like, you know decade plus ago, um, he just had some people really dogging the fight even before about the ticket sales, and it's just funny because this stuff. I always try to use Golovkin because it's at least somewhat fresh in the last decade, right? But the way Golovkin ticket sales kept going up and up, and then it kind of peaked as far as – well, it peaked with Canelo, but I'm saying without the Canelo fight, him and Danny Jacobs had a really successful card somewhere in the range of, of this card, and it was celebrated rightfully. So, you know, all this great stuff, and, and it's just funny how it slipped. Any kind of quality card that they put together, especially in the main event where you're going, all right, well, will this thing hit a million plus or whatever, but – you could sell how the tickets were sold. Um, you could tell them, You could see clearly that this was going to be a successful um, night at the gate. And it, it's just funny that they don't criticize and don't have that same energy for a lot of the other fights. Uh, you know, whether it's Eddie Hearn or, or whether it's you know Top Rank, and it just will they be saying that about Lomachenko and Haney? You know, uh, which I think will have a successful gate. Um, that's going to be at the MGM, but it just—it's—it's really funny to hear this shit, man. It—it it, just—it kind of blows you away, but it also is like, yeah, usual suspects, you know. Um, but yeah, look how many, like, even getting to two million, right, as a gate, it really doesn't happen much here in the states. I mean, in the UK as well. I mean, of course, you have Canelo. Even with the, you know, Tyson Fury was out fighting Wilder in the states, not. I mean, good Gates, solid Gates, but, you know, he's not selling two, three million. Um, It is just funny how this stuff continually happens. Um, And then you look around and who in the United States beyond Canelo, like taking away PBC fighters beyond Canelo and Fury with Wilder. We don't even know if Fury's ever going to fight here. Hopefully he does. You know, hopefully he's allowed to come to the States at some point. But without, I mean, they barely do million dollars. They've, Haney, Stevenson, they've done a million dollar gates. And that's great. We documented it. But Top Rank right doesn't do two and three million. That Ramirez fight over the weekend, man, there was. A, if you combine Ramirez and this fight, a lot of folks came out to watch boxing in California and Vegas. And that's great. It's awesome. But look at the gate number, you know. Um, it, it's just funny. Uh, it's just funny how one side of the street gets the criticism, even when they have a successful night. The next thing, of course, will be the pay per view numbers and how it, you know, it, it 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 failed and whatnot. But yeah, we're gonna get into some of this Benavidez stuff in here, you know, with the uh, Al and whatnot. But just giving my take on the main event. Like I said, I, I thought Plant won. I'd say three out of the first four rounds. Um, the fit the third round was close. It was a very close round. Um, but overall the jab was working pretty good. A a few decent right hands. You could kind of see that Benavidez was just measuring, measuring, excuse me, not really, uh, over committing or really committing at all. He wasn't landing his jab or anything like that. Um, plant was getting off with a couple of combinations in the second round early and mid. And even in the last, part of that um and you know at the time bigger ring and whatnot um he was having some problems Benavides cutting off the ring uh Mauro came with a cheesy line right off the the bat go figure right Uh, uh, for some reason I can't think of what the hell it was but like I said the third round I thought was really close Benavides did start to let his hands go um little quick combos with the jab from plant nice left hook with like 40 or 50 seconds left Benavides jab there was a warning for benavidez but not plant for holding that you know whenever there was like a little mix up or sorry started getting a little rough or whatever besides like one time it was really benavidez what are you doing you know and i thought Benavides handled it well he didn't let it distract him he didn't constantly talk to the ref. And also later in the fight that we'll document, he started punching with that hand free and started at least drawing attention to what's going on. And, it, you know, he finally did get warned, but not nearly enough. Now, I gave Plant the fifth, but it was close. I thought the pot shots um, in defense slash holding, you know, what was in there, um, some left-hand counters by uh, – uh, Benavidez landed pretty well So so maybe that's something that you like Um, which you know, I get I definitely get um Moving on to the sixth, like I said after that I didn't I don't believe I gave let me just double check I don't think I gave plant Yeah, I didn't give him another round after the fifth round So, you know on my card. I had him up four to one some people had him five. you know, it is what it is, but you know At that time going into six, Benavidez was averaging thirty eight punches thrown and he usually averages right around sixty eight, I think. Uh, but he started throwing the jab more, landing the left hand, more right hand, just more active. Um, and in that sixth round, I believe I I charted it here. Yep, that was the first time the the warning came for actually plant to stop holding. And, you know, clinching is different right and holding or, or clinching whatever you want to say now if a fighter is in your chest uh kind of holding you up against the ropes you know sometimes they even put their glove there and, and then they'll have their free hand or it's during a clinch where you both kind of clinched and there's a free hand like to me i feel like that's when someone's trying to rough you up there's two things you could hold uh you can clinch and spin or you can use, like Mayweather's really known for this, is use that elbow. Like, if you're going to put your head in my chest, how about an elbow to the throat? Let's see if you continue to rough me up like that. So if someone's getting rough with you, then I don't think a a clinch is a big issue. You know, now a bear hug hold or getting your shots off and just holding right away, that's bullshit, right? Just like dirty, uh, some dirty boxing hitting behind the head and hitting low and hitting on the hip. That shit, you know, some of that shit is legit some of it's not it is what it is I'm kind of on both sides you see holding and hitting behind the head all the time so it's it's we could say it should be out of the sport that's fine and I agree but it's not so that's what I do you know that's where I kind of take my viewpoints from but Benavidez although Plant was landing his jab in the seventh round and landed like a big right hand in the last 30 seconds of that seventh round the early and late left hands followed-up punches, landing flush. I thought he did enough there. And um, by the eighth round, Benavides was really, really turning up the jab, right hand, dig into the body more and more. It felt like, you know, some of that body may have slowed him down a little bit. Um, And just heavy shots. And and Plant, there was a moment there where he actually kind of, I was. I'm not going to say it was a knockdown by any stretch, but there was a moment, a couple moments where he almost went down, um, plan. But he was just. He happened to be right by him, so he was able to grab on, which was a you know a very uh, veteran move, obviously. Um, but yeah, to me, um, it was just you know pretty much one way traffic. Uh, there was a clash of heads, I believe. Uh, If I remember. Oh, yeah, that there was that clash of heads. And instead of looking at it between rounds or right before the next round, which would have been the ninth, they stopped the fight and take a look at it. It was just weird. It was just weird. Um, There was a low blow to start the ninth round. um, But the bigger shots landing more and more, you know, increasing the volume was Benavidez. And then an upper, a right uppercut followed by some flurries went to the body. Plan is, you know, in some of these rounds kind of holding on for dear life. Um, and, you know, the short shots, really going crazy with those, landing, you know, with the hand free. And this is, you could tell in the, the, the last three or four rounds, the hands-free stuff, where I thought Benavides didn't take advantage of early. When you got a hand free, you got to let it go, especially for a guy that's holding you like this um now there was times where plant early maybe 30 seconds maybe a minute would have success right but then get overwhelmed even like the 11th round late he definitely hurt him again with a big left hand overhand rights um hooks like he was really getting to him um and you know early combinations once again from plant showing his heart i mean his face just everything his demeanor it didn't look like quitting. It just looked like, dude, I'm, I'm taking a beating here, but in the same breath, I'm here, you know? Um, and like I said, maybe there would have been a knockdown in there if it wasn't for the veteran move of grabbing because it looked like he was down a few rounds before that last round, like he was going to be down. Uh, but Plant held in there and fought really, really hard, so i got to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, overall, though, 210. Uh, to 91 so plant didn't even land 100 punches 38 percent to 15 percent on the copy box uh, no matter how you slice it that's pretty damn impressive you know that that's really impressive so overall like i said we will talk a little in this show you know later in the show we're going to bring al dawson on in here in just a second we're going to talk about the undercard we're going to talk about what's next all that good stuff we'll switch over to uh you know that Ramirez Comey, which was a good fight, and some of other action. Um, even Thursday fight uh, on ESPN Plus, that was a good fight. So we'll talk about the weekend, and then of course we'll look forward to uh, Ramirez and Dogbo or Dog Bay, and, and and then the return of Anthony Joshua, who is now you know in a different camp against Jermaine Franklin. Definitely like a do or die fight. I mean, I think he even said. Maybe it was just a quote. You know, quotes could be, but um, like basically, you know, like I got to win this fight. It's pretty obvious. If you lose this one, it it would be rough. So it'll be interesting. I think it's a good fight for him. Not that it's just going to be crazy competitive and it's going to be you know nip and tuck or anything like that. But I do think that you know it's still it's a good comeback fight for him. You know, um, he probably. It's kind of funny cuz some folks were are dogging this opponent but some of those same folks that are dogging Franklin this Franklin opponent were the ones after he took a loss to Andy Ruiz and even his first loss to Usyk was like
1: he needs to rebuild.
2: You know, it's like, well, he got with a new camp, he's taken on a solid fighter, nothing crazy. It's kind of like which one is it, dude? You know, you got to you got to start a Make it a decision and being a little bit more consistent. So we'll see. I like the fight for him. I think it's a good fight for him to come back to. Uh, and from the sounds of it, you know, maybe he'll jump right into something big. I'm not, not just going to latch onto that like that's for sure. I wouldn't doubt if we saw like an August fight against Dillian White and then something big in December. Now this uh, Siri Usyk falling apart or so it seems maybe that will uh, entice them, you know, to, to go right to a fury fight. But not long ago, they were talking about Franklin, Dillian white, and then, you know, a big fight. So don't be shocked if that's the scenario. But now that we were closer to the fight, you know, that's the thing you don't know sometimes for and fighters and management, whatever. Um, just like to put names and sentences right together, and it sounds great. And then they're like, well, we'll fight him in December and get one more fight in, which I wouldn't be completely, like, shocked, especially if – or even that mad. uh, Dillian White, at this point in his career, is not a great matchup, to be honest with you. He does seem to be on the downslide, but I don't know. I mean, I just wouldn't be shocked. That's all I'm saying. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying, okay? Um, and, you know, in the long run, I you know, I don't think they'd keep that off paper. Although I think they'd keep it off paper here. But it'd probably be a paper there even if it wasn't Dillian White because, you know, they'd start talking shit. Anyway, let's bring in Al Dawson from The Insider, a boxing slash MMA correspondent. He was there live in the building. We're going to talk about what he thought of the fight, what he thought of the atmosphere, and all that good stuff. He really got his taste of uh of boxing in Vegas. Uh you know, he's been there now for a little while. Let's bring him in here. What's going on now? How the hell are you, my friend?
1: Oh yeah, I I'm good. I'm still trying to get over uh, you know all of those good fights and the good event on Saturday. Like like you say I've been here in Vegas for 15 months and before coming to the city from London, I was really thinking it was going to be a boxing town, but it's just uh, from what I've seen so far, it's just not MMA is so, you know, the 800-pound gorilla. UFC just dominates everything with two shows at the apex a month at least in Las Vegas right. and four pay-per-view shows. Show uh, in, and all that. In, in, yeah, in, yeah that, like the best fight in Las Vegas I saw last year was um, quite comfortably Ericsson Lubin and Sebastian Fundora. But, um, yeah, on Saturday, it, you know, this, this was um, just big-time boxing. It was a real great boxing event for boxing fans. You know, there, there was a sold out crowd, 17,000, what felt to me like completely screaming uh, Latin American um, fans. I was really thinking Caleb Plant being a, you know, Las Vegas being in a, a second adopted, a, you know, adopted city for him that he might have some uh, f- I, I fans, but I didn't hear anything for him. It was just such raucous atmosphere for David Benavides, for Jesus Ramos. Um, and uh valenzuela it had an unpopular decision go against them against chris Colbert, but the, the whole night just had everything and the, the last time i was uh, you know inside an arena or stadium that had an atmosphere anywhere near that was um anthony joshua and Alexander usick the first fight uh, in london i think it was 2021 but it was a really different situation because london had just come out of its last lockdown so you had eighty, ninety thousand 90,000 people go into this uh, the stadium in North London, uh, and it was more like, a, you know, carnival festival atmosphere with, like, pop-up jerk chicken food trucks, you know, on the way to the stadium, everyone kind of feeling good, that you know, getting out of another, I think it was the fourth lockdown by that point, um, so I'm thinking that the atmosphere was kind of helped by people just feeling like they were free again, um, you know, not having to wear masks and all, and all that sort of BS. But, yeah, Saturday was just – the atmosphere was generated because this was a really good night, and the performance in the main event from David Benavidez just matched that energy that, that the fans were bringing. It was amazing to see. I've never seen David Benavidez live before, and I'm definitely going to want to go, you know, pay to see him again, where, you know, if he if he comes to Vegas again or if he has a, has a fight in Arizona where he's from – or where he's training. Um, yeah, I, I was just, the, the, the power difference was really obvious from, um, you know, maybe round five, five onwards. It was just all Benavidez. And it was just like his engine, you know, I was just so impressed with his stamina and, and what he was doing. He seemed to be upping the tempo every single round. And then it just kind of was really, yeah, like you said earlier in the show, one-way traffic, especially in rounds 10 and 11, where he was throwing up to almost 100 punches uh, in the round and landing well over half of them, limiting uh, Caleb Plant to, yeah, I, I think Caleb Plant only landed three jabs in the second half of the fight. I'm um, wow. really also impressed with Caleb Plant's, like, chin. I'm amazed he didn't go down. Uh, you know, some of these shots were just awful, you know, like, real powerful, like, whipping left hook into the body and then a left hook to the jaw, uh, you know, rearranging Caleb Plant's face, and he just stood up to it. Um, it looked like maybe uh, Breadman Stephen Edwards is, might have pulled him out. I, I heard—not that I was watching the broadcast. Obviously, I was, I was on press row, but it, from what somebody else was saying, that there might have been, you know, the, with the camera and and the, and the microphone in between rounds, that you know, there might—I'm guessing that would have been round ten, eleven, where you know Breadman might have been saying something to him to really. There's a conversation. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, Clant is a warrior, but that fight might have taken something out of him where his career may never be the same again um you know I'd I'd see him again though like from what he did to Anthony Durrell on the Deontay Wilder undercard last year that was a really good show as well um but yeah MGM Grand really good arena it didn't seem like it's it's a bit of a strange run because when you're actually there it, it it seems like the venue is maybe only 10 like half as big as what uh, you know, the amount of seats there, right? Because it's only one tier all the way around. Yeah, it's a bowl. Uh, it's not- we call it... Yeah, the- yeah. Yeah,
2: there's no upper uh, but- deck. It's just all one bowl. And that's what's better for fight fans, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I, I think that adds to... It helps with, like, the acoustics for, you know, just how much, how noisy it can be because... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's by far the best uh, boxing event I've seen in Vegas it, since I've moved here. Like the, the only thing that I think would compare, I came here for uh, the Wilder Fury the the second fight, and I right. remember that yeah, being yeah. really, really, really well attended and good, and just really good energy. Um, but yeah, I mean that. How many pay per views that does? I'm I'm not sure what those numbers will come in at. I'm I'm kind of. Um, I, I don't think it will do 200,000. That's what Javonte Davis does, and neither of those guys are, are, are there. But, um, you know, I'm thinking 125 would be a success, 150. It depends where, you know, that could be a real platform for David Benavidez. And, um, yeah, there just seems to be, uh, you know, good momentum now to get that uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez fight, whether that happens in September or, uh, you know, whether Saul tries to, um, you know, whether he... Uh, fights and beats John Ryder in May and then takes on the right. Dimitri Bivol rematch in September and then maybe you know does a PBC swing next year with Benavidez and Jamal Charlo um, yeah I, I mean wherever he goes I'm I, I'm not sure he beats Bivol again uh, uh, yeah sorry I think he loses to Bivol again uh, but I, yeah. I, I think I think Canelo might be there for the taking for Benavidez as well I feel like that might be a uh, it seems quite strange saying it because Canelo's not really, you know, that old, but I feel like he's been in so many fights um, and he's been in a few wars himself where Benavidez is, you know, kind of, you know, soaring just as Canelo might be coming, um, you know, down the hill, down the mountain, the other side. And It just might be good timing for, for Benavidez. But, yeah, what a matchup that would be. I'd love to see it. I think that would be huge. Uh, you know, it's got the potential to sell you know, almost. You know, maybe you know those Wilder Fury two numbers. You know, eight hundred K. You know, it could be it could be the event of the year, whatever year it lands in.
2: Yeah, and about it. And like you said, the the atmosphere—not just David Benavides, but Rayo and like you said, um Jesus Ramos. This was a great platform for the young Mexican American fight fans and Mexican fight fans in general. But for those fighters on that card. You can sell, too, because generally speaking, when it comes to pay-per-views, the undercards can be hit or miss. Sometimes you get a really good co-feature, but the crowd takes a while to get there. And you could sell if there was a lot more people you know, in attendance early on that undercard than the normally will be, usually like maybe halfway through the co-feature. Or if the co-feature is really good, then they'll show up. But a lot of times it's in that co-feature when you start to see the audience fill up. And, you know – From the the usual suspects, we did hear the the no buzz, there's no buzz, and all that type of stuff. and That's a general thing that you get with PBC events, especially when it's a a high-profile event. But just fight week, can you talk about fight week? I know you were talking about, you know, the weigh-in and that line and, and how just people were just amped to be there and also how you actually for once saw billboards with boxing on them instead of uh, MMA or UFC, because like you said, it is a UFC <laughs> town right now. There's no doubt about it. But just kind of the vibe fight week and leading into it the day of and whatnot.
1: Oh, yeah, you just drive around in, in Las Vegas, not necessarily on the strip. There, there are UFC billboards there. But as soon as you drive, there's like a horseshoe on its side, uh, you know, like a highway that goes across straddles like the north and then the west and the south side of the city, and um, yeah, and and you'll see you know UFC HQ, you'll see UFC uh, billboards, you'll see advertisement for the next pay per view and sometimes just the fight night show. You'll very rarely see boxing. Uh, when it, when Canelo was here last summer, I saw Hennessy, You know they put up their stuff with it with him drinking their cognac. Um, uh, but yeah, that that was all kind of replaced with it, it was all Benavidez plant. They were on the front cover of the Las Vegas magazine. Um, yeah, no, you, you, you couldn't help but hear about it or see about it. Um, no matter where you were, whether you were, you know, as a local being on the outside of the city or, you know, as a tourist being on the strip, it was very much, It for me, it was well marketed. And I think, you know, the strength of the card, I feel, was by design because, um, you know, Plant was on Wilder's undercard. Uh, you know, is he a pay-per-view headliner in his own right? Not sure. Uh, Benavidez, is he a pay-per-view headliner? Probably now. But, you know, if you just took that fight by itself. Yeah, prior,
2: self, though, yeah, he had. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. But then, and then when you see, uh, you know, it was the pay-per-view quality was mainly, it, was, it wasn't it was there was one star like what Canelo is. It was, the star was the fact that it was a very strong card uh, with, like, you know, massive interest from, um, from Amer- American boxing, but also particularly the Latin American fans. Um, yeah, I, I went to a show, a Golden Boy show last April in Santa. Uh, no, I think it was at the uni- one of the university buildings, maybe 10,000 or oh, maybe 8000 of arena. And Alexis Rocha headlined, and he, he packed in fans then as well. So that was kind of my, my first taste of um, how well-supported Mexican-American fighters are uh, in in their communities. But th- that was like a sort of middle, you know, mid- mid-tier mid uh, kind of, head, you know, headliner, mid-tier show. This, this was, uh, you know, this really was big-time boxing. I just feel like the momentum now is really in the sport's favor going forward. We've got a massive show every single month. There's a rumored big show landing in June, so we, we could be really set you know for the next uh, three to four months and and, and that fight in, that event really in, in particular just kick started it um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, I've always been impressed with Jesus Ramos so there was a uh, you were talking about the fight week experience, and there was on the on the Wednesday we had the open workouts um, you know and there were people i mean it was attended but it, and it was open to the public. But you got, you know, I think people need to remember. If you think these are going to be really, you know, having really well attended, they're still in the middle of the day. Uh, most people are working, and if you're if you're going to be a sports tourist coming for the fight the weekend, not sure you might not arrive on the Wednesday. Uh, by the time it got to the weigh-ins on the Friday, it was at the Car Theater, which is where one of the circus Soleil shows are. Really, really nice. Um, you can tell it's like a circus act, you know, like a show showroom. Uh, I think it's about 2,000 people, capacity at least, and that was packed for a weigh-in. Um, you know, the, the lines were big, and that's that's when it really, like, got in that this, this... The buzz was there, and it was... You know, anyone who's saying it wasn't there is just... They're, they're living in a different reality. It wasn't there. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, they're not there, and they're, they're living in a different reality. You know, it, 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 for people that are saying it, like, online or Twitter, these these, these are... This isn't the real it's world. the echo chamber. The real world is, yeah, exactly, and it's like we see it a little bit today with the announcement of Haney-Lomachenko, which is an amazing fight, but all of a sudden there's, you know, conversation of uh, we, we can just appreciate the sport as a whole rather than have to get into the politics right. of it all and the promotional factions. You know, if you've got Javonte Davis and Ryan Garcia fighting in April uh, at the T-Mobile Arena, that's a monster. If you've got Haney and Lomachenko, uh, I'm not sure where that venue is. I think it's the MGM Grand, but again, it's in Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah, MGM, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and, and and the belts are on the line and that to me is a passing of the torch uh fight. You've got a two time mm-hmm. double Olympic champion in Lomachenko against a guy who I I I feel like Haney's just gonna comfortably beat him and it's gonna be a real crowning performance for him and he deserves that considering he went to Australia and picked up the belt you know, they picked up the belts, came back and just because Cambofes wasn't really seen as uh I don't know, the belt you know, the belts had, had a bit of a merry go round going after uh, after uh, Tio Lopez but yeah, Haney Haney deserves that crowning moment. I think I think he's one of the gu- you know, the guys for American boxing. And um, you know, to have those two fights in the lightweight division and back to back months—that's a win for the sport. No matter whether whether you work for one network or work for the other, the fans should just appreciate the sport as a whole.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, that that's a perfect example of like you said, um, I, you know, your style of reporting with the sources. With the not worrying about getting out first, I definitely appreciate. Once again, we're here with Al Dawson, boxing-slash-MMA correspondent for The Insider um, here on rope dove Radio. Um, Talk about kind of as you saw the advancement. Of course, we'll talk about the matchup inside the ring with Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. But outside the ring, you know, the story that you you wrote about it had a, a really good detail Kind of how the whole thing came along, you were you know talking to both sides of the street, and uh, like I said, I just want to say that I do appreciate you know uh your style of reporting, which is to be fair, it should be how this stuff goes, as we know, social media has changed a lot of this stuff, but um I really enjoyed kind of the almost the storytelling with detail in real sources. On how you covered Davis in Ryan Garcia, which is going to be a mega fight based off the gate number already. We don't know the exact number, but we know it's already a large gate, hence the ten dollar bump on the (laughs)
0: pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've loved that fight for years. I remember even uh, going back to Fury Wilder too. I I met Leonard Ellaby, you know, in the face face face-to-face for the first time. Uh, I think it was at the I don't know, in some VIP area that just uh, wasn't actually in the in the ballroom where the media center was. And yeah, I spoke to him for about half an hour. Uh, and and I, I, even, even though we were there talking about Wilder and a few PBC things, maybe with the promotions, like, yeah, obviously I like, brought up Clavonte Davis and just saying, you know, when are we going to see Ryan Garcia? That You know, that fight was always, to me, that was the dream uh, matchup for both those guys. Uh, and you could just tell, like, he, he would say things, but you could just tell that the that wasn't the time that it was gonna be made. And then I think that same year I was speaking to b at at Golden Boy and again I'd be like, you know, the fight for Ryan, the 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 dream fight for that guy's Javante, you know, when we're gonna see that. Uh, and, and no matter what B Hop said, he was like very, you know, um uh you know, giving credit for Javante and the and the, the job that Mayweather promotions had done with him, uh, you know, praising him as an opponent, but you could just tell that the timing wasn't right. But then as, you know, every time I'd speak to someone from Mayweather Promotions or PBC or, you know, Golden Boy, I would always pretty much be bringing up that fight just at the end of the call just to, you know, because I want to see it, you know, so I'm interested. When are we going to see that? And then uh, as soon as it got right. to around September of last year, uh I think it was September, it might have been a little bit earlier. No, might have, I think it was actually earlier. I think it was around the summer when, because it, cause it, it I remember doing two stories back-to-back. One was Crawford Spence, you know, that was being talked about, and I had another one, like, the next the next day saying, oh, you know, <laughs> this one's in play, too. Um, and it that, 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 it just felt different when I was speaking to people involved in the, in, in that fight. You, you could tell that they were having meetings. I know Leonard Ellaby was flying multiple times to uh, Los Angeles to speak with Eric Gomez, uh, you know, the Golden Boy Promotions president. And they were putting together the boxing side of the deal, Um you know, so then I was speaking to people on the broadcast. How was it going to work? It was just clear that they were all talking about it, and that was the fight to make. The, the money was, uh, you know, there to be made, for everyone involved, particularly the fighters. Um, I, think the, I think, actually think the impetus for, the, for it all started with Ryan Garcia. I feel like he was really quite integral to making the fight happen, because I think he put out a tweet and made it really public, um, and I think even this might have been May, June time last year, where he was saying he just didn't want any other fight. You know, like credits. Yeah, he really wanted to, uh, you know, go for it. And it, it kind of makes you think. You know, sometimes when these fights don't happen, Crawford with Spence, for, uh, in, in, for example, Fury with Usyk, it's because maybe one of the parties doesn't want it to happen. With with Javonte and Ryan Garcia, they both wanted it to happen. And and the, despite the fact they had two rival organisations of PBC and Golden Boy, despite the fact you had two rival networks of Showtime and DAZN, they still made it work. You know, once um, Leonard Ellaby and Eric Gomez uh, worked out the boxing side of the deal, it was then up to um, Steven Espinoza and Joe Markowski from Showtime and DAZN uh, to figure out how the pay-per-view would be delivered. Uh, as soon as it got to, you know, once they were talking positively, it, it for me, regardless of there was reporting saying that, you know, things were, uh, I, I don't know, snags or it was in jeopardy. Uh, I, again, I spoke to people at the time, I didn't report on it, but I was just saying, you know, is this happening? But if, it, it always just seemed like it was t- suddenly too big to fail. There was too much money on the line. Gold, you know, Golden Boy needed the money. DAZN needed the money. You know, Showtime needed it in their portfolio because they're, um, you know, uh, kind of being, um, you know, merging into, uh, you know, the Paramount Plus um, division. Uh, everyone needed it to work uh, so, like it was, you know, it was the, the, the reporting. That, you know, what was jeopardizing it was ultimately things that were always going to be figured out relatively straightforward. And I think that's what Stephen Espinoza said on Chicken Talk. Um, uh, you know, just saying if that was the biggest of their problems, then you know they've got a really straightforward deal to make. And then obviously in the end, uh, you know, the fighters announced it for the second time a, a few a few um, a few months a few weeks ago uh interestingly it feels like Ryan garcia's a little bit um pissed off with how it's all played out because I, you know he was telling me that he actually wanted a much longer promotion so by the time they'd actually announced it to uh, april 22nd being the day uh he i think he was hoping it could be um either announced a lot sooner or uh land on a later day so that they could have a much bigger runway to uh to promote it but i I feel like once 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 it gets um i feel like it's already caught fire like from what Stephen espinoza was saying to me a couple of weeks ago um like they they and and i was hearing it on saturday as well that there's um you know in the floor seats there's there's vip sections and they they just keep uh like i don't know how many tickets would be let's say it's 500 tickets back for a fight like ryan and um giovante uh, and they they hold them back for I guess high net worth individuals. Casinos might want some for their high rollers, and then uh, celebrities, yeah. NFL players, and um, you, you know musicians and rappers and so on. Uh, and they've already got like so many uh, you know ticket requests, particularly from NFL players, because they're off season at that time. Um, so if we're going to have a super fight in boxing, apparently that's a really good time of the year to do it because. You know, then you might have crossover promotion from, um, you know, NFL players uh, that want to come. You know, and they might be tweeting about it or putting it on their Instagram and talking about it and so forth. And the other thing, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not. And that's usually date, like,
2: but, that's usually fight week too when that stuff gets done. But to have it a month and plus out, that really tells you just how big that fight's going to be.
1: I, I, yeah, I think it's going to be like a huge like. Huge, like with an asterisk in today's market uh so i don't know how you know i I kind of think that if it sells eight hundred thousand paper views that's a monster because one of the things that might hold it back in terms of the box office is both of these guys have young fan bases so uh you know you know when you're at the peak of your earning but you know power you may be in your mid-30s to you know typically uh you know in your mid-30s and in in your 40s so if you're a younger fan um, you know, maybe uh, to get this fight, you you know get a bunch of your buddies together and you watch it in one person's right, living have a room. Fight that's for just one one. Yeah, suddenly that's one what only one pay per view sale. Rather than you know, if if like I was gonna watch a pay per view that was going off in New York and I wasn't gonna travel for it, then I, I would you know watch it in my office here, and that would just be you know one person one pay per view sale. Uh, plus, I'd expense that. <laughs> Not like coming out of my pocket, but my um, inside is. But, um, yeah, so I don't know if that will be an issue in this in this fight, but the, the interest that's from, um, you know, musicians at Coachella playing there, that, that apparently they're going to be getting in helicopters after their act and coming straight to Vegas to, you know, be in their seats uh, for, you know, what, what, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Uh, this, this, this fight to me is um, – the reason I said Caleb Plant and Benavidez was a boxing fight for the boxing fan, I feel like um, next month's show is going to be, like – the, you know, for the mainstream, you're going to have the casual interest, and I feel like when if you're lucky enough to be in the in the arena, I feel like that's what's going to be the glamour in boxing. Going back to you, you know like Pete Floyd Mayweather, maybe sorry not Pete Floyd Floyd Mayweather, but Floyd Mayweather days, the nineteen eighties, Mike, T- Mike Tyson, whoever wins. This, you know, it's really interesting because there's no real title on the line, but the stakes are arguably higher because whoever wins would be the face on video games, you know, front cover of magazines and, you know, arguably the face of the sport. And the platform is then there for them, you know, not even if they don't get a million pay-per-views for this fight going forward, that could be the springboard to to become that monster um, pay-per-view star of, you know, the next fight and, and the near future, especially as both guys are so... Uh, young still, Javonte I think's 28. Ryan's my, um, even younger, 24, 25. You know they've still got you know eight, ten years left in the right. game. And yeah, yeah, the, the 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 sky's the limit for the winner. It sounds so cliche to say, but um, yeah, I, I love the fight. I've loved it for years, and and I can't believe it's next month.
2: Yeah, the, just hitting that million dollar or million dollar mark as far as pay per views is tough nowadays. Of course.
1: The, 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 the UFC doesn't even do it, it. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah, the UFC doesn't even do it. it, the, the we care about it all the time.
2: The streaming, I mean, first of all, we can't really, I think we get lost in Manny and Floyd and how different yeah. of a beast that was because there was really never uh, two people doing 800 or over a million at one time. When Tyson was his prime, Oscar wasn't doing a million dollar buys. The first big Oscar, I'm talking big, Was Trinidad? That was like the big, big one. Now him and Mosley did quality numbers the first time, and almost did a million the second time. But I think people just get caught up with the Mayweather-Pacquiao, and as if you know they both had Oscar to put them over the top. But even that, I mean, you know, of course the, the the availability of streams and high quality streams. But the the thing that balanced that out now is. One, they have a better deal. It's no longer 50-50 with the cable companies. They have a better deal. Uh, you get a little bit more money. And the amount of people that just buy it right on the app, so that's not sharing with the cable companies at all, that's a a lot bigger pot than it used to be just not having to cut that, that 50% up. But either way um, – as far as other items to talk about, did you get any kind of rumor mill about some upcoming fights potentially? Um, maybe some undercard fights that'll be filled in? Any kind of news about the undercard for uh, Davis and Garcia? Or if you want to talk about, you know, maybe what you've heard about the Fury Uthik stuff or any items, you know, that you want to talk about, Alan?
1: Yeah, there, there, there was one kid on the... Um, I was kind of, This is the only... Uh, like negative on on Saturday night, uh, so I was rushing to my seat because I really it was, uh, for four o'clock it would have been the opening bell for the first five. So I really wanted to see Robert Merriweather the third. Um, I think I think he might be eighteen years old now, but I saw him for the first time on the undercard of Frank Martin and Michelle Rivera uh, when they were fighting here uh, at the Cosmopolitan, really really cool um, casino. Uh, it's got like a theater that I think maybe a two, three, 4, 000, um, fans, uh, that can fit in there. And, uh, there was, a, there was two, there's basically two cards on one night. So after Frank Martin put in, you know, career best performance to dominate, um, Rivera, they, they are, are, are on the top of the PBC card. They then had a Mayweather promotion show. And I remember Robert Merriweather, just came out wearing a crown, you know, great swag, full style, 17 years old, and, and he just looked uh, like a star in the making, you know, both in terms of his boxing style, but also how he was like holding himself in and out of the ring. Uh, so when I saw that he was on the bout sheet on Saturday, rushed, rushed to, to my seat. And uh, then I was like asking around saying, oh, well, you know, when's he going to be on? So I thought he was going to be on first. And it turned out he was a, a float, you know going to be on a floater. And I feel, um you know, they were going to put him on um, at the end, I guess, because uh, there was no finishes. That, you know, so they're trying to like get all the timing right when the pay-per-view part of the show started. Um, but then Robert Merriweather, you know, at the time like he was going to come out afterwards. Uh, you know, we then had to go to the post-fight press conference, so I so I would have missed him if he did indeed fight. Um, but yeah, he's he's one of these guys that Leonard Ellaby's kind of like talent ID to, you know, join what's really quite a small uh, roster that he's got at most of the promotions. But it's very they're very particular in who they bring in, um, and. Yeah, from what he obviously sees in Meriwether, you know, I, I, I'd i love to... I, I want to see him again and again in games. So you can only really see... It's hard to see how, like, you know, how far someone can go when they're so young. And I've only had, I think, on December, that was his very first show in, in America, um, or very first fight, pro fight in America. Um, but the reason I brought him up is because uh, I think um, uh, on the uh, Davis and Garcia show... I, I, you would hope Jaleel Hackett would be on the undercard because not only is he, you know, another, like another one of like Leonard Ellaby's next big things. Uh, he's also, I, I think this is still correct. He was definitely at one point Javante Davis's favorite sparring partner because he, you know, ha, ha, whatever those guys, I've never seen them spar, but I can just imagine what that would have looked like right. in the doghouse in the Mayweather gym. Um, and if somebody's standing up to Javante Davis, And they're only 18, maybe 19 years old. Jalil's probably 19 now. Um, Yeah, you know, that kid's a stud, uh, you know, future stud as well. So um, the fact that, you know, Leonard Ellaby put together the boxing deal, the fact that, you know, he's um, Jalil is, uh, you know, Javante's, you know, buddy of his and, you know, his preferred starring partner. Uh, I'd, I'd hope to see him on uh, him on the undercard. He's obviously not going to get on the in, on the pay-per-view part, but just to have him in the building, I, I think that kind of makes sense. But I, mean, I, I I haven't heard any like inside info. I just I just kind of putting two and two together and thinking, you know, we've got to see one of these, you know, next big things that Leonard's got um, brewing because, yeah, I think he's got maybe 20, 25 fighters, and there's at least six or seven who are quite young. You know, under 21, 21, years old, most of them teenagers, and um, yeah, there's, there's there's another one that I that I think he's got that's really good called the Ryan Khan. Uh, but out of all of them, I think it's Jalil that makes sense to be on the on the undercard for that show. Um, yeah, and then in May, is it, I mean, all, it's, a lot of this momentum in, in in American boxing seems to be quite um, in Vegas at the moment because like uh, Haney Lomachenko, I, I can't wait to see that. And then June is rumoured to be. Um,
2: yeah, yeah another baggage
1: yeah, show. Yeah, with um, uh, Crawford and Spence, but yeah, I, I was trying to ask around on, on uh, you know, last week, but it, I, d- I didn't want to like make it too much of, uh, you know, coming to this show yeah. to talk about another one. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not hey, sure. Hey, as long as it's much.
2: quiet, we'll let them talk, right? If it's quiet <laughs> and it's not in the media, we'll let them talk amongst themselves and not even worry about it. You know what I mean? That's the way I'm looking at it.
1: The thing that kind of makes me think it's, you know, Crawford put out a tweet that was quite mysterious, thinking, you know, that their end of the deal, you know, maybe right. that would just be a bait and switch with the deal being the, you know, the first fight of Alexis Rocha, uh, you know, because I know Golden Boy were interested in bringing him in, uh, you know, for a three-fight, uh, presumably what would be a three-fight deal, multi-year contract, and uh, Alexis right. Rocha would have been the first fight. Virgil Ortiz, if he beat Rocha, you know, the next fight would have been Virgil Ortiz, which, to be to be honest, like, Crawford, uh, Virgil Ortiz would be the biggest, uh, you know, if Crawford beat him, that would be the biggest uh, win that he's had at welterweight for me, um, and, you know, but by the time that he would have had those two fights and then have uh, spent you know, the fact that Golden Boy were able to work with PBC and, um, you know, Showtime and, and get a deal done with uh, Javonte and Ryan, it does not make me think that the same could happen with, uh, Terence Crawford and um, Errol Spence, but I, I did like this yeah, is when I you
0: mean,
1: when I you look know. at Errol, and when I when I saw Errol in December, I was just thinking, how is he a one four seven? You know, because he was he was around the fight week, and and you know, because he's um you know Frank Martin is his guy, Errol is a big, big monstrous one four seven pounder. How he makes that weight, he's an expert weight cutter. But he's got to be at the end of his one four seven days. So if, oh, yeah. if Crawford no. is going to if, if Crawford is going to go and fight Rocha and uh, Ortiz, I'm just not sure Spence will physically be able to still hang around at one four seven because he's a big dude. Um, and you know, even at one five four, he'd be he'd be a big guy, just like Jesus Ramos. I'm Yeah, I'm not he's sure already how said
0: that, it. He said as much
2: too. You know how he's just like, I, I really don't have much longer here. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how that works out. I don't like to spend too much time on that just because we already did for so long, but I don't right. think Crawford has to go to Golden Boy to make the fight. In fact, it actually makes makes less sense for him as a fighter because if you sign a deal with Golden Boy, they're going to take you know a, a large chunk of your money. So to me... If you want the Spence fight, you don't sign with a different promoter. I understand the Oscar De La Hoya stuff. I always said, you know, we've worked it out. But he already has a long-term deal, or at least a mid-term deal, with him. You know what I mean? With uh, Ryan. So, to me, that really doesn't line up um, business-wise for for Crawford, I'm saying. Because it's kind of like, well, dude, why wouldn't you just take, you know. But but that's neither here nor there. Um, any other items that you'd like to discuss, maybe a, a story that you're starting to work on or any kind of other items? Uh, I know you don't, you know, you're a busy man, so we don't want to keep you too long, but any other items that you want to talk about, Al?
1: No, I just like, I just, I feel like this is just a great moment in time to be a fan of boxing because yeah, like I said, we're like being here 15 months in Vegas and it was, it's such a UFC town. It's such an MMA town, but now it just feels like the tide's turning and we've got so many big events coming up. That it's just a great time to be involved in the sport it's a great time to be a fan of the sport and if anyone's trying to duck out uh you know to take time away from the boxing matrix it's just the most stupid time to do so because <laughs> you know th- th- this it's is the time telling. to plug into the matrix <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is yeah tough it's tough tough in. if
2: you're now taking a break right now
1: yeah the, the, the sports ne- the sport's never been hotter we've just had benavidez khan we're going to have javonte and ryan next month haney lomachenko um, I really in like layers, uh, Joshua. Um, a good yeah, do, even, you know, even Joshua Franklin this weekend. I'm quite quite invested in. Like, yeah. uh, you know, people might be overlooking Joshua Franklin, but it's a good it's a good it's a bounce back fight for Joshua. I feel like he's in a similar situation as Canelo was with um, Golovkin. Even though, you know, Golovkin is um, more pedi- had better, better pedigree than Franklin, but that was the ideal time for Canelo to really end that rivalry and finish Golovkin because of how older. Golovkin is but the fact that he you know only looked marginally better than he had in the previous fights uh, it didn't really seem like he's had the momentum back whereas Joshua really needs to finish Franklin in style get the momentum back and and become the killer that made fans care about him so much in the first place it's a great fight you know just because those to me it's always about the stakes and even though the fight isn't as juicy as what some people might like you know, it's at the O2 Arena in London, which is, you know, the equivalent of the T-Mobile in Vegas or the uh, Barclays Centre in, in New York. 20,000-seater arena is telling to me that that's, uh, it, you know, they, they don't feel like Joshua's the stadium fighter anymore. You know, he's not, he's not at Wembley Stadium or the Principality Stadium in Wales. Um, you know, that he sold three stadiums out so many times over, he became more popular than the, the English national soccer team uh, in, the, in those stadiums. Uh, but he's not a stadium fighter anymore. So if, if he if he struggles to look good against Franklin, you know, his days as one of the marquee fighters from Europe are probably over. Um, and, you know, whether whether he would still be a top five heavyweight, you know, that remains to be seen as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the stakes. There's, there's pressure for him to perform. You know, he has to finish Franklin. He has to look good doing so. And he has to go back to those days where he was just clubbing people out of the ring you know, not literally, but, uh, you know, on his way up when he ultimately went and fought uh, Klitschko. You know, I think I'd love to see him go back to those days. But as we keep seeing with Joshua, it's like um, those days are probably long gone and he's turned into a bit of a different fighter. But he's with uh, Derek, Derek James, you know, that adds another layer to it. So there's, there's there's so many fights going on at the moment. It's just a great time for the sport. And, um, yeah, yeah, everyone should, uh, you know, look forward to this. There's, there's something for everyone, no matter what what, what nationality you are and And where you are in the world and and who you like, you know we've got a lot of great characters in the game and and they' and they're all kicking off right now
2: yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's got a little bit of everything, and we haven't even talked about some of the fights that are going to happen in Japan as well, so yeah you're right it's a great time. we had a a really sluggish end to the year last year. we had such a good From January to July, man, it was popping, and then it just fell off. So it is kind of nice to get going again. And and this year has had a lot of underrated, undervalued fights where you're like, wow, that was a good-ass card. So I really appreciate you stopping by, Al. We'll definitely touch base with you in the future. You have yourself a good night, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks
0: for having me on. Appreciate it.
2: Yes, sir. You take it easy, Al. Have a good night. all right Al Dawson solid solid reporter you know we like to big up the reporters that are doing their job just doing their job that's why we have Jake on that's why we've had other people in the past on just straight up doing their job not platform uh, biting or or just constantly clickbait and sources say and all that stuff we're going to get back into some of this recap um, from the weekend. I'm going to bring in John here in just a second. Um, and then of course, we'll look you know forward to this weekend. Um, some interesting uh, interesting stuff this weekend, and like I said, fight news as well. We'll talk about, you know, what is next for David Benavides. You know, before the Caleb plant fight, you did hear Samson. Who represents Benavides in David Morrell? Say he has a signed contract even before the the Canelo plant stuff came out. But he reiterated that he feels like the David Morrell fight is next. We'll see. Um, it could be Demetrius Andre, which I think would be a solid fight. It's not that I don't want to see the Canelo fight, but you know. The way that Canelo's talking, he's going to uh, get by Ryder, we assume, right? And then fight Biffle. And now he's not even talking about 168 Biffle. He's talking about 175 bibble So I, for one, am not going to be pissed off at Canelo for trying to beat Biffle. Um It's a huge, you know, we already saw it was a, uh, Clear win for Bibble. It's a tough style. The size, the skill, all that stuff. Bibble put on one of his best performances, especially on the elite level. So I'm not going to be dogging him to do that. I think that's ridiculous that some people, you know, now some people that do that, but now do I want to see this fight? Is this more of a com- competitive fight? Is this more of a fight that, hey, is that it? he always talks about 168 is much better than 175, and given his His size, he's a big dude as far as, you know, husky, right? Pause. But he's not tall, right? He can't necessarily fill out a bunch of more weight. That's for sure. But for me, um, yeah, I'm just not going to freak out at him for doing that. But like I said, at 168, this is the fight to make in itself. I mean, they would give him a a healthy upfront money, right? And also – you know, it would do well, I mean, it would at least do what Caleb Plant and him did at pay-per-view, I believe it'd probably do a little bit more, and I I believe it would definitely do more at the gate, which is saying something, because that Plant fight did, you know, both pay-per-view and gate, crazy numbers, so we'll see, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but, uh, you know, Bring on David Morrell. That's cool. Uh, I, I I, would like Morrell to get uh, like two more fights. Uh, I'd like him to go another 10 or 12 rounds with guys or at least guys that you know can go 10 or 12 rounds and maybe stops them or whatever. Um, so, you know, I'd prefer that to be honest with you. And hey, I'm a big David Morrell fan, obviously. Uh, you know, the city adopted him up here. So we're all about him. But, you know. I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, no, I don't want to see the fight because David's not ready. No, I'd still see the fight. It'd be a great fight. I just think uh, it would probably be a better fight a year from now, a year and a half from now. That's just being honest um, just because, you know, morale definitely still needs to develop a little bit. I think he's ready to fight him. But, like I said, one or two good quality opponents – that gives them more rounds and, and gives them just not a guy that's just going to get knocked out early in the fight. You know, That's why I think Andre, style-wise, um, it, it's a legit name, and we know Demetrius needs a name himself. So I, I, I would really like that fight. I would really like that fight. Um, I'm not discounting a Charlo fight, but I just think Charlo, you know, he's been out of the ring so long he needs to kind of come back see how he's doing, and then look for a big fight Uh personally. That, that's kind of what I think. We're going to go over some of that other card stuff, though, in just a little bit here. Let's go ahead and bring in John into the fold. What's going on, John? How you doing?
3: Chris, how's it going? I enjoy uh, listening to you and Al. Uh, Al's always a great guest and uh, very knowledgeable, and I enjoy uh listening to him and hearing his reports on what was going on in Vegas this past weekend and recently.
2: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times uh, these promoters and managers and um, you know, the networks and platforms, whatever, they can put something on paper and, you know, at times you still got to give them a lot of credit because it, you, you you were intrigued about it on paper Um, And then sometimes it just doesn't work out in the ring, right? It just happens. It's no big deal. It just happens. Uh, There's plenty of big games that you're all pumped about in the NBA or NFL, and then it turns out to be a blowout. Or we've seen it in Super Bowls even, one-sided games. Um, But this one, John, not only were we anticipating it, not only were we talking about it's a throwback card and, you know, all this stuff, it, it lived up to it. I mean this thing lived up to it and just even the start of the card that you know to have Crowley and Ramos, you know, deliver a great fight right off the bat. You could tell, you know, like I said, David Benavides, it was a big night for him as a, a Mexican, Mexican American fighter. The crowd was pro that way one hundred percent. But you could tell that, you know, early in those fights it started to fill up more and more and more. And I'd been to a Canelo fight years ago where it's a quadruple header on Showtime. Because remember, they used to do quadruple headers. And the place is packed for the first fight. They're doing the wave of fight before Canelo comes out. Now, it wasn't quite that, right? Of course, because that's Canelo. But it was a big moment for David Benavides, where he belongs, at the marquee level, having a, you know, a quality opponent and then the Jesus Ramos in the Rio, even though he didn't get the dub, it really was just a good all purpose night. And like I said, it lived up to it in the ring.
3: Yeah, it was um, refreshing to have a card that good, that just left you with a lot to talk about as to what, Prior that night, what it means, and and then what it means for these fighters in the future, and I, I did notice just even looking at the card from the pay per view perspective on TV, and you know, Vegas can be late arriving, but at least looking on TV, I thought that it was filling up earlier than it normally would, which you know told you even more about the quality of the card. In other words, even. people in in the casinos there and and in town for the fight, it it seemed to be filling up uh, quicker than it usually would have, even though you had three undercard fights before the main event. Um, Yeah, the first fight, I mean, all all the fights, uh, you know, all the fights delivered in their own way, Um, you know, starting right out with Crowley and Abel Ramos. uh, The good Ramos showed up. You know, I talked about that last week that has happened with him before. And then once in a while version of Abel Ramos has shown up, but this was the good Ramos where he's a little more active. We know he can punch. We know he has some skills and his volume was up. And I think Crowley had that ability to go with the pressure or box. I think it was entertaining for the fans, but I think Crowley made it more difficult on himself than he needed to by just going with the all-out pressure style. Even later on, it seemed like, you know, the corner was telling him to box a little bit, and, and some of the commentators were mentioning it. Uh, it wouldn't have been as an exciting a fight, but he might have been able to box his way to a decision if he, if he pulled out and uh, just used the jab, but he didn't do that. He, he chose to uh, pressure the whole time, and it almost cost him at the end because this was the good version of Ramos that showed up. Uh, you know, he didn't get a knockdown, but he hurt him bad on that shot that was almost a knockdown that they initially thought was a knockdown later on in the fight when Crowley was uh, probably tiring, tiring a bit from putting all that pressure on. But, but a great fight, a great opener. Um, I think that was one of those fights that um, even though Abel Ramos has a few losses now, uh, he performed well enough tbc has got all those welterweights. Welterweight is the deepest division in boxing. His next fight might be another tough fight. He's been in with a lot of tough guys already, but he'll remain viable. Performance uh, pushing Crowley like that. Crowley justifiably and clearly won the fight, but it was it was a rough one for him. You know, you saw he had some swelling afterward. Almost got dropped, um, but he fought. But he still fought well because he's in the with the good version of Ramos. Um, very, very entertaining opener. Um, you know, so I think what, what does it tell you going from here? Ramos will get some more fights after this. PBC has the fights for him because you know, I think each fight is worth breaking down like that. When you have good competitive matchups, it's the, the discussion right. about the future is more meaningful than if you have somebody in with somebody who's just going to lay down and it's foregone conclusion. And, and we're, when we're left pretending and speculating, it means something, but it really. It doesn't mean anything. And, you know, we know there's been too much of that in boxing, but there wasn't any of that on the PBC card Saturday night. It was great matchmaking. So uh, for Crowley, you know, he, he's underpowered for, for, especially when he goes with the pressure style. Uh, he he didn't box as much in this fight. Um, I think he's going to have to mix it up some. I mean, pure pressure. If he's fighting somebody who doesn't have to pop, uh, he, he can out-hustle him like that, but, you know, there's going to be guys he's going to be in with in, in a tough welterweight division that have even more pop than Abel Ramos. And if he comes in pressuring like that without power against that type of a fighter, he's going to be in trouble. So um, I think he's going to have to mix it up a little bit uh, unless he's in with somebody who's not that much of a puncher. Um, you know, you, you could take examples. At 147 welterweight, just even if fighters PBC has, um, you know, like like Errol Spence, you know, punches too hard, punches too hard to the body for for Crowley to come in and do that to him, um, and and you know, there's uh, there, there's others out there because the you know the division is so deep, um, you know, like like look, I guess it's, it's not even speculating. You do have Stanionis is going over to. Fight Virgil Ortiz on the zone and the, you know, yep. crossing the street type fight. So I'm just saying, like, you know, if if Crowley was to fight somebody like an Ortiz who could punch, um, you know, that's that's going to that's gonna be tough for him coming out of that. Ramos, if he can come with what he brought against Crowley, even against some of these uh, better fighters he, he may force to be in with, uh, you know, with his punching power, when he is at his best, He's still a difficult night and has a chance because he has pop. He he's not a he's not a guy that's like a trial horse or a gatekeeper uh, that you would get nowadays. Those are people who can't punch. You know they're not going to hurt you. So that's why they're there. He he can punch. So he he can uh, he can, he can still uh, he can still do something. So that that was my take. You know on the uh, first fight of the night. Um, then you know second fight. Valenzuela and Colbert. Uh, and, you know, let, let me say for the first fight, because it was a theme that you looked for, and you got it in all four of these fights. Um, I, You know, I was, this was really the best of boxing, these eight guys in these four fights on the pay-per-view undercard of PBC with the heart they showed, and it goes through all the fights. I mean, you know, you look at the way Crowley and Ramos trying to revive his career were going at it. Um you know, tremendous heart from both guys. And you ended up getting it in the second, all these fights, but you can go fight by fight. In the second fight, I mean, Colbert got knocked down with just a massive shot right off the bat. I mean, just a bomb from Valenzuela. Credit to Valenzuela. I mean, that was the kind of shot he caught Francisco Vargas with. And even though Francisco Vargas shot at that point still, I mean, you saw what it did to him. It was that type of a bomb. And uh, he was continually getting hurt. He had to then, even though he is not a puncher, he had to get out of his game plan. You know, he really wasn't even boxing. He just had to start coming forward to try to make anything happen. And this was, a, again, I think this was a theme I saw in these next three fights um, that, that I find interesting even for some fights forward because even with some of the dissimilarities of the styles, I, I saw kind of a theme Saturday night where – Somebody, and, and the first we saw it in was Valenzuela Colbert, where you had Valenzuela, a taller fighter who's got some skills, even though he's a puncher, he's got skills too. Um, and Colbert, the boxer, a shorter guy who normally boxes, you know, wants to box and not get hit, because of his physical stature, the physical disadvantages, he just was not able to box. And, and that, that was a theme for me Saturday night. Um, and it, it, it interests me in some fights going forward. So Colbert, even though he was underpowered, the physically smaller guy in height as well as coming up from thir- 130, that didn't, doesn't make that much of a difference to me, like I always say. That's only five, but still, he, he's not tall. whale had a big height advantage. So Col- Colbert was continually getting caught. Now here's where something I want to talk about the scoring. Um, I had tweeted this after the fight. I, I think more needs to be made of this, you know, Chris, you and I go back far enough. We had talked about it before, you know, in the late eighties, New York state, you know, one of the top boxing States uh, one of the top athletic commissions, just because there's so much boxing there, th- they tried to encourage their judges because it's not written in stone anywhere. You know, you know, how the 10 point must <laughs> systems are exactly supposed to work. We've gotten in these habits, but it didn't originate with that. They, they were trying to encourage, let's really use the 10-point must system. In other words, if a guy dominates a round and, and he doesn't, which is the way it was really supposed to work too, if a guy dominates a round, even if he doesn't score a knockdown, that can be a 10-8. Uh, you know, maybe he dominates a round and he gets a knockdown, could be a 10-7. I thought this was a perfect example, even the way we scored today, where it should have been. that uh, Colbert was in so much trouble in that first round. That knockdown was so huge. That, to me, shouldn't be just a 10-8. I think that should have been a 10-7. And let's let's look at examples of why it should be. And, and these are kind of the way the 10-point must system's gotten ridiculous. You know, Chris, you and I watch almost all the fights. We see this all the time nowadays. You didn't see it decades ago when talking about the 10-point must. If, if a guy gets such a flash knockdown that his glove touches the canvas, then everybody who – watches the sport and reports on it starts debating well his glove touched the canvas that should have been a 10-8 round you know he wasn't hurt bad his glove barely touched the canvas or another one where the guy gets uh, staggered just a bit and he touches the rope and people are saying that's a knockdown that should be a 10-8 here's what I'm saying that was nothing like the Valenzuela knockdown of Colbert in the first round Saturday And, and I'm talking about there's other fights with those examples as well. You know, if you get a knockdown like that, and then you dominate the Including the, the shots time.
2: after, too, where he was in big trouble.
3: He was in big trouble, right. I mean, you can't tell me, it, it's ludicrous. You can't tell me that you should score that round the same as one of these, and we had a perfect example. Even though this was, he got staggered more than you would usually seen a situation, the fight we just talked about when you had Crowley and we were debating whether his glove touched the canvas or not and then that was going to be a 10-8 if it did touch the canvas i mean again that was nothing like the trouble colbert was in in the first round against Valensville will or the knockdown he suffered so tremendous heart by colbert it was amazing he made it through the round he had to show tremendous guts but you know you, you can't have a you can't have a scoring system that Is logical and say that that kind of a round is the same as a flash knockdown when a guy's glove touches the canvas and then all the fans and commentators uh, and reporters want to say that's a Um, 10-8. It's idiotic. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, then that should be a 10-9. You know what I mean? Like, we're we're, we're getting to where it doesn't make any sense. So, I thought Valenswell should have had a 10-7 there. Um, Colbert somehow hung in there, could not box. I mean, Another fight, second fight in a row for him that his defense wasn't where it had been before that, but but this was like a fight for survival, so can't even fault him. He's in with a much taller opponent who can punch. Um, I I would say he hung in the fight, but he really was continuing to get staggered. He wasn't really winning a lot of rounds, Um, but again, I don't even think Colbert got as much credit for as hard as he should have gotten because You look in, then, as we're going a few rounds down the road, and when Valenzuela caught him with another huge shot, especially, it caught Colbert right in the eye. I mean, it wasn't even a thumb, but, I mean, there's no way he was looking for a way out or, or, you know, exaggerating or anything. I mean, he got hit with another bomb right on his eye, and you just saw him immediately, like, you know, blink in the eye and having trouble with the eye, and he still made it through that, you know, to go the distance. And the guy was giving it all he had the whole way. I, I mean, the effort to me was tremendous because it, it took tremendous courage for a non-puncher who normally boxes like that to just try to come forward and throw shots to win rounds. And he did it, and he did win some rounds. But then you get, you know, even in the final round, have hurt him at the end. That should have been enough to get him the round. I think you did agree with me on this, you know, on, on Twitter. But, you know, curious to get your thoughts on it, too. I, I just don't see – you know, I, I thought there was another round in there when Valenswell was hurting him. I thought he could have been, got, got a 10-8 without a knockdown. Um, and then even all that said, even if you didn't give the 10-7 like I thought you could get and then another 10-8, no, no way Colbert wins six rounds of that fight. Uh, and then somehow – he gets his hand raised at the end and that's something where, you know, draft, but this, this is a totally logical tie. And we have to talk about this stuff because DraftKings was a sponsor of the card. Okay. You know, there was betting segments during the pay-per-view. I'm fine with that. I think it helps the sport, but here's what worries me for the sport. You know, if you're even a gambling company promoting that, And then you get a decision like that. I mean, if you're a Valenzuela better, you're legitimately saying there, and he was a plus, you're saying, how the hell did I lose that? How the hell did I lose my money on that fight? I mean, this shouldn't have been close. I mean, there was a couple – I just got to say it because they're really – because the people have said it too, as far as Twitter goes, were kind of nut jobs. I mean – you got to be a nut job to a nut job or one of the judges to think Colbert won that fight. I mean, I don't know what the judges were looking at on that one, and I don't. I, and, and I get benefit of the doubt on these, Chris, as you know. Actually, most of the time, because there's a lot of subjective things in a round, but not on this one. I mean, not, not on this one. Um, this was just the old kid watching a fight test. You know, if you put an eight-year-old and watched that fight and said who won, nobody's going to say Colbert. Um, so Culver showed a lot of heart. Um, I think really tremendous heart, tremendous performance in terms of heart in that fight, given it all he got, but the getting hit so much in the last two fights for what his style is and his lack of power, um, for his future, that's gotta be a concern for me. Um, you know, for Valenzuela, he up a little bit at the end. I, 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 I think people made it more complicated than it was. Oh, he should have stepped on. The guy got a little bit tired. He threw a lot of shots early. Sure. And, uh, he was throwing I don't... some hard,
2: yeah. He was throwing some, I'm trying to end this fight type of comments.
3: <laughs> exactly. And he did it in a few rounds because he had him in big trouble. And I just think he was a little tired. He still finished the 10th round strong. So I don't have the criticism. Like, people were kind of making it a head thing like, oh, he, he should have finished him when he – could have. I, I. This was not one of those I felt that. And I'll, say, I'll say that more than anybody. You know I say that all the time. But I just think he got a little tired from exactly what you said, Chris. I mean, he had him about to go a few times from the opening moments of the fight. He'd expended a lot of energy, you know, by the time you got to those later rounds. And and then he still finished the, the, the last minute of the fight strong, Colbert, again. So I can't criticize the the young guy, too much for that. Um, I thought it was a really good performance overall. I think he's right back there. Um, if I were his camp, I thought he looked good enough. Instead of the Colbert rematch, I would take De Los Santos on again, even though he's a puncher. I think Valens will knock him out this time. Um, I think he could reverse that one. Uh, you have to watch it and call, but I think other than that, uh, he would have a chance to reverse that one relatively easily. I'm not saying he can't beat Colbert in the rematch. I think he can, but this is one of those ones that, again, I, I don't know who who could have had the fight for Colbert. I don't know what the judges were watching. Um, and then Colbert was our first saying, "Let's do it again." Now he's saying, "Give me Garcia again." And I don't know. I'm not going to complete. I'm not going to completely blame the guy. I mean, he took a hell of a lot of punishment, and he showed a lot of heart. Um, i don't know if he needs that again um again, with my team that's going to be going through some of these fights uh, with a case of a of a physically smaller boxer who is in with a with a, a puncher who was taller, who had some skill. you know it's different if it's a taller guy that's not that skilled, um, but you know bounds has some skill as well, and it ended up being a nightmarish uh matchup for Colbert right off the opening bell. So for Valenzuela, I think he's right back on track, but I think he could put an exclamation point on that by taking De Los Santos on again. You know, PBC can make that. If I'm Colbert, I I got to say, you know, you have pride and everything, but I think his second thought is probably right. Uh, I don't know if he wants to be getting in there with this guy again. He took a lot of punishment, and uh, it's going to take something out of him as it is. He's got to get back on his boxing game, and I think Ballin's will is too big for him to do that against. So I, I think he might want to look in a different direction. But, again, it was a very entertaining fight, controversial, uh, big platform. If the money's there, hey, you know, you got you got to weigh the money options too. So it might it might come down to, does PBC want these two guys uh, to get in there again? So that would be – Yeah, uh,
0: and – Go ahead.
3: No, I was just going to say that would be that would be about dish up my take on that fight, Chris. Well, what are your final thoughts on that one before we uh, go on to uh, uh Spencer and Ramos?
2: Yeah, I mean, I even have it written down as a 10-8, maybe a 10-7 in my notes okay. when I'm watching it for that exact reason in the first round. Um uh, mm-hmm. I think that 8th round when he hit him with that overhand left that knocked Colbert back into the ropes. Um, that is that other round I think that you're talking about where you're like, man, that was a beating. Now, credit to Colbert, you know, I gave him the second round, um, but it was close, you know, but I gave him that just because I was like, wow, he's actually got his stuff back together. And actually I gave him, I thought the ninth was really close too. I gave him the ninth after he had been in trouble in the eighth. so definitely want to credit him. No doubt about it. I think you could give him. I'm looking at my card. I gave him three rounds clean.
0: Yeah. And then there's probably two
2: rounds that are, you know, are close or whatever. But the bottom line is for all three judges to be six to four, because obviously we know there was an official knockdown. So, you know, 95-94 can't find six rounds for for Colbert. You just can't. It's just not there. Um, Four would be probably cops. Even if you yep. gave him five, which I think is a huge stretch, he still got knocked down, so you lost the fight. You know, so, right. yeah. It, to me, it was, like I said, I give Colbert a lot of credit. Clearly, he's not, 135's not a good weight class for him. Um, you know, considering how he was hurt multiple times for him to come back and not just survive but win rounds, I, I thought I was really, you know, it showed me, what he's made of even more than the last fight, that, or, you know, his last loss, because it, to me, it kinda, I'm not saying he gave up because he definitely didn't. He didn't take a knee or nothing like that and just stop. But it's like it, a lot of it had to do with style, of course, and he just could not do much about it. Once that fight got going, he got knocked down as well. But, yeah, I mean, I really thought for Rayo, Venezuela, that this was, and, and this is something you know, I tweeted about as well. We talked about on Twitter is this was a great, no matter what the result is, this was a great development fight for him. And for a guy where he's at with the number of fights that he has, and sure, you know, you go to box rec, it says he's got two losses, but only 14 fights, um, you know, to have, especially these last two, I also thought the Austin Jule was a good prospect fight for him. Not much there in the Francisco Vargas, obviously, because, you know, he's over the top but or over the hill by, like a while ago. But, yeah, I really liked what I saw out of him. I do think, like what you said, early in the fight, he did throw a lot of punches where I think he took one of those rounds off, one of those rounds that Colbert won maybe in the middle. Uh, I think it was just off that. You know, he just wasn't throwing as much because he was tired um, because it was rapid fire and the same thing happened maybe in the eighth, but yeah, it's. I mean, you can have a fight where one thirty-two to one twenty-four, uh, you know, on the uh, on the punch landing stats, and they're right around the same, um, you know, type of stats as far as percentage wise, and you know, you could give the jabs to Chris Colbert. Well, that wouldn't be a surprise coming in, and the body work to Venezuela thirty-five to fifteen. That's not a big surprise, but just a bigger shots and of course it's round by round some people get caught up in well it's not just the big shots the next round's a new round that is true but it wasn't just big shots that you know there's two or three rounds where Venezuela landed those shots and therefore I won it because I landed big shots no he, he was winning most of the rounds so I did think it was a bad decision um, and, yeah, there's just not that many rounds that you can give them to, to get them even at five, let alone six. Uh, but overall, I really think, once again, when you hear the crowd, how much they were into it, and that crowd that night doesn't give two shits that he lost as far as in the long run. They, they, they're mad he lost, but they know he didn't lose. So he, he still is uh, a rising prospect, no doubt about it. And I do think he needs just solid fights, kind of moving laterally for a little bit, two or three fights before he were to step way up at 135 because it is quite a, all of a sudden, hey, you're up at this Frank Martin level, and that's a little different. I don't think he needs to go there, uh, whether it's a fight with DeSantos as a rematch or maybe another fight sometime this summer and then close with Santos Whatever it is, I really liked what I saw out of him coming off a tough loss. Um, But, yeah, let's get into that co-feature, Jesus Ramos and Joey Spencer. Um, Spencer, you know, we really kind of thought he'd be on the outside, boxing and all this stuff, and Spencer was like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm coming right to him. (laughs) And uh, the size played, you know, a part there too. But Ramos looked very, very good. He looked very crisp. And uh kinda got him back on track as a rising prospect now into that contender range and a commodity at the one fifty four and at some point one sixty uh pound division. He looked great. He really did.
3: Yeah, and, and let's look at Spencer Ramos, the thing that's sticking in my mind as the fight opens and probably a lot of people's and I've seen both of these guys a lot. Um which always helps a lot, like when you've seen them a lot live, in other words, when you don't already know what happened. I mean, sometimes people, you know, you have to watch the fight and you already knew, but it's, it's never quite the same. So that's what I liked about the PBC exposure of all these guys. You know, I, I felt like I had, to, you know, handles going in that seen these guys a lot. But, yeah, as as you pointed out, Chris, the, the, the surprise for me, though, with Ramos and Spencer was really – like in those first opening moments just as the fight started, um sometimes this is overrated, but it wasn't for me in this one and and I wasn't expecting it. You know, Ramos looked huge. I mean Joey Spencer's five nine yeah, he looked really guy. Big. And and Ramos and you know it's fair, I'm not saying there's anything going on. I just mean he's a young guy developing and, and we know he's got skill some skills and some pop and and you know, the opening bell rang and, and I'm like, hey, Jesus, Ramos just looks huge. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, it looked like a different weight class or something. And, and, and Ramos had been fighting at welterweight, and Spencer had been the guy at 154. Spencer had said that before the fight, and, you know, there was some logic to it. It wasn't crazy, but when you saw the opening bell ring, you were like, Ramos looks huge. Uh, as you correctly said, you know, the way Spencer had been fighting recently, and, you know, his you, you fathered, you, has been given him those instructions in the corner, even against this lesser opposition, you, you'd expected he was going to box and that he thought he could box him. And um, one thing I do think's been lost from the fight though, Chris is that um, and I, it, well I, I think actually listening to Spencer a little bit after the fight, I think he was pretty candid, but I'll get to that in a moment. It, I thought you know let's say for the first two minutes of the first round, this has been kind of lost in the whole thing. I mean, Spencer was looking pretty good. Um, It seemed then, you know, what you pointed out correctly, and then this is where I did read Spencer kind of saying even the same thing after the fight himself. He just all of a sudden, like, decided, like, you know, this guy, you know, this guy's too big or or something. Like, I I can't, you know, I can't box this guy, or I got to see about coming in. And he's got the physical stature and possibly the punching power. um His punching power didn't come across in this fight like I thought it might. Um, I didn't think he would stop Ramos or anything like that, but I thought he might be able to get his respect, and he was having trouble doing that, but again, Ramos might be that good too uh so you know he, he you would think with Spencer's physical stature um and you know I said this before the fight too when you and I were talking that it seemed, you know, earlier in his career, like, you know, he would maybe be a coming forward boxing kind of a guy using his power, uh, you know, maybe some head movement and stuff. Hadn't been fighting that way, had just been pure boxer. And and then he shut out Salgado, who was coming off a draw with Perella. So, you know, I reached a point where I just thought, well, he seems like he's winning fights this way. Uh, This is what he's been working on. So, You know, it it may be enough. Ramos looked like he'd had a little bit of trouble with boxers against Molina, even though Molina's tricky. Uh, And, you know, you can't knock everybody out like people say. It's true. You know, you're you're not going to have most of, you know, very few. Peter Bayev's the only top guy that's got 100% knockout percentage. You know, you're not really going to have it. But um, point being that you thought maybe Spencer had been gotten good enough and could do some boxing. It it seemed to me like – and, look, Spencer's in the ring with him, you know kind of made a calculation, even though he started the, the first two minutes of the first round off pretty well. Like, I, I can't box this big guy. <laughs> you know, that that's my theme. Like I said, you know, like Colbert got dropped early by Valenzuela. The boxing was out the window. And, you know, Colbert's a pure boxer. He he doesn't even have the pop equivalent at 135 that Spencer does at 154. But he had to, he had to start coming forward. You know, I, to me there's kind of some similarities. But what we saw there – um, which, you know, his father did correctly point out in the corner. Um, you know, when Spencer was coming in, and then he just came right in with his head, you know, he hadn't been doing it in recent fights. He did it early in his career, earlier, he's still pretty early in his career, but but the very beginning. But in recent fights and, you know, in a step-up fight like Salgado, he, he was just purely boxing. You know, he wasn't coming forward at all. So he caught a bomb right off the bat. And um, one thing Spencer did say post-fight that that I think maybe the people that didn't like Spencer weren't taking into account. Yes, did Spencer uh, have to make a mistake and get caught with that bomb by a very good fighter in Ramos, uh, I might add. Yes, but, you know, when you get caught with a bomb like that, just like Colbert, I mean – you know who got also got caught with a huge bomb. I mean, you're you're not necessarily the same after that. You know, you're still fighting on heart and instinct. But uh, Spencer did say that after the fight, that uh, you know he he after getting caught with that bomb, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't the same it wasn't the same for him after that. So then he didn't seem like he knew what he wanted to do, but he was showing heart and and Ramos. What was impressive about Ramos in addition to his offense and size was he was not defensively irresponsible. You know, his corner did point out a couple of moments when Spencer was winding up with the big shots and catching them. But, you know, when you look over that full seven rounds, that didn't happen a lot. You know, most of the time Ramos was blocking those shots and not getting caught clean. He did have the moments he, where he did, but mostly it was a tight defensive performance and, and they said he, he prides himself on his defense and and you saw that in this fight. Well, maybe you didn't have to see that in other fights he was in, but that, that defense for a guy, you know, his size and who has the offense he has, that, that was pretty tight. He had moments he got caught, but not much over the seven rounds. And that made it a tough night for Spencer, but uh, Spencer showed a lot of heart. Um, You know, at this point, you know, eventually his father stopped it, but you know, at that moment, Spencer wasn't in any imminent danger. He'd taken a ton of punishment over the course of the fight. You know, I'm not going to argue that, but it, but he was firing back bombs when they stopped it. Um, you know, so I think that that's kind of a segue into the corner. You know, Spencer apparently in recent fights, he, he'd been training in California, but his dad's still the lead corner guy. And, you know, we talk about this in boxing a lot, Chris, and I guess it cuts both ways, you know, with with dads in the corner. You know, we've all seen this a lot if you follow the sport. You know, I guess you can't necessarily categorize them all together. You see some dads who then throw the – we've seen them have the guy take – the son take too much punishment. You know, just be delusional about how a fight's going to keep sending him out there. And then we have other uh, dads who – you know that they're 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 worried about the the son taking risk all the time you know or, or they they don't want him you know nobody wants to get hit or should they want their fighter or son to get hit you know we know about the risks of boxing the the permanent brain damage and everything and you know taking shots is never going to be good for you so you, you're not you're never going to fault anybody for not wanting their fighter or their son to take shots but then I'm tying back into the style thing, you know. We, again, you know, it, it's it's a it's really a tough question because, you know, you've got to live the rest of your life, and you, you're dealing with your brain, but you, you've seen Spencer's father telling him to box, you know, even against these lesser opponents. Like, look, it was a shutout, but when he fought Eric Martin, who had beat Milanicki in that big upset, you know, Eric Martin literally has no KOs. And, you know, Joey Spencer boxed Eric Martin and shut him out. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you get my point. Like, I'm not saying that's bad, but Eric Martin had no KOs. You know, I mean, if you, you know, if you can't, you know, if you can't come forward on Eric Martin, if that's not part of the strategy, I mean, when, when is it part of the, you know, when's it, when's it part of the strategy? And and I'm saying that because, you know, Spencer. You know he, he's five nine. You know he's not he's not that tall, that type of a thing. You know he's got he's got decent boxing skills, but you know even when he's boxing, it hasn't really been high volume and that type of thing. And you know he's shown moments where he he looks like he could punch. Um, my conclusion for him for the future is you know they got to realistically figure out what he's going to be style wise because I think where he's not getting a break, uh, you saw Deuce Ranger Rollins, Tweeted out, and I'm pointing it out just because it was a good point. I mean, you know, Jesus Ramos might beat everybody in that division except for Jamel Charlo, and it's not an exaggeration. So, um, you know, you, you know we, let's wait and see. You know, in, in other words, if Jesus Ramos turns out to be that good, you know, was Joey – I mean, and, and I'm not saying he looked good, but still, you know, was Joey Spencer's loss then that bad, you know? I mean, he was still firing back when his corner stopped it, um, even though he wasn't winning. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, we don't know that yet. These are the things we don't know. But what I'm saying is I think there's an opening for him there that if Jesus Ramos turns out to be that good, you know, this loss might age better. But they got to figure out realistically what he's going to be. Because we did see in this fight, he can't box a guy that big. Okay. That, that, I think we can say, I mean, I don't think that was all cause he got caught. I just don't think he could, he can do that. So, you know, and then, so if he has to come forward and be a puncher sometimes, you know, responsibly with some defense, you know, he's got to start doing that in fights against some of these other opponents. You know, if they're going to take a couple to rebuild them, he he's got to move forward more, you know, he can't, he can't just box these guys. And look, it is the most dangerous sport. Um, but, but that's what I mean. They're going to have to decide, you know, if, if he's going to box only. Yeah, he's going to beat. I think he'll still beat some guys that are probably okay. But um, is he going to get to the top of the division just boxing? Probably not. Uh, I, you know, I don't. I do even say probably. Don't even have to say probably. He, he's not going to because he already look what happened with Ramos. And you got guys like Fundora out there uh, for as long as he's at 154. You know, I mean, these are uh, these are obviously, you know, big guys. Now, you know, zoo doesn't have that big of a physical stature. Uh, some of the others, you know, Lubin, but but you know, you got you got guys like and now Ramos, uh, you know, and and Jermel Charlo too. I mean, you know, Jermel Charlo, you know, I mean, he's he's just about six feet tall uh, at that weight. You know, uh, you know, we know he can punch so. They're going to have to figure out what Spencer's going to be. Ramos, he looks to me like he's ready for – I'm not saying they will go for ever, anybody right now, but to me he is ready for anybody. Um, I don't – you know, I might be in the minority of this, but but don't mind being it. I mean, you know, I don't see anything in Tim Zoo that he would have to be afraid of or he couldn't handle. He'd be a lot bit bigger physically than zoo. Um So, you know, I, I think Lubin, you know, the durability's a little bit of a question, even though he shot a lot of heart against Fandora. Fandora is a tough style matchup for anybody, but uh, you know Ramos getting bigger and bigger. Um, you know, he's, of course, nobody's like Fandora, but you know Fandora is going to fight. You know, Mendoza. Uh, Ramos has already been through that type of level, uh, so I, I think he's you know he's ready for anybody except maybe Jamel Charlo. You know, because he's got a huge size advantage on a Castaño. Uh, that would be a brutal matchup for Casano, So he, he's, uh, he's right there. So Ramos, uh, like you said, you know, look, looks like a future star on track for that. Spencer, there has to be a little bit of soul-searching just as to what what is he going to be. And, you know, are, are they going to have – is he just going to have his father being the sole voice in the corner? You know, even if you're training in a different location, I mean, it, there might have to be somebody else also in there um if he's gonna if he's gonna move forward so that that'll be the interesting uh questions coming out of that fight for the future
2: yeah and then um obviously you know um because we we started at the beginning right we didn't we didn't get benefit point plant yet so yeah let, let's right. get to that got, you're right though okay. i think he's ready for anything but i and they've moved them pretty damn well you know at, now that we're here, as far as the – we talk about amount of fights and all that, um, they definitely have moved him at a nice pace. I mean, he's 20 fights in now and, uh, he's, you know, fought like Mendoza, and Molina, and some other guys here. Um, some fights he's looked really damn good. Others, you know, he's a prospect developing. But, yeah, I think his age that they won't – just because they have so many layers at 154, I think that they'll, uh, you know – not slow rolling, but I don't think he'll just jump up and get Castano fight. But yeah, I, I, the sky's the limit for him, no doubt, at that weight class, and at some point at one sixty as well. Let's talk uh, Benavides Plant.
3: Benavides Plant um, fits my theme a little bit. Not now, the size disadvantage wasn't as pronounced. Caleb Plant, um, you know, he, he, he's he's six foot, you know, one sixty eight. He was a light heavyweight in the amateurs, but I think we could say safely, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but it's worth it And and some of the uh, pre-fight they were talking about, that, you know, the David Benavidez story, he was very heavy as a kid. You know, he's naturally a a heavier guy. Somehow he boiled down to like 166-something for this fight. It's kind of amazing how he's gotten consistent in doing that after having some trouble. He still always looks drawn to me, but it's really – at least as far as we can see, it's not majorly affecting them in the ring in terms of being able to win. But, again, with the theme, you know, Caleb Plant, obviously, the box, the the quicker boxer, he, he's going to be coming and looking to box. Uh, David Benavides, though, still at, at this weight, the bigger, more physically imposing guy. And, and, again, this is my theme, what I saw on Saturday night, Plant just, you know he couldn't he couldn't continue to box and benavides ended up being too physically imposing he was not able to continue to box and hold him off um i i think if you watch plant's whole career you know and that's kind of why i mentioned roy jones like you know of course it was against a lot of lesser opposition but you know his his boxing style in the pros where he was at his most effective you know, they were talking about the size of the ring and he wanted it. Yeah, we know all that. But then then this did end up coming into play in the fight. You know, he, he's not really, though, like a – he's not a classic circling boxer jab and mover. His style of boxing at his best is more, you know, he's standing there, speed and reflexes, and he's going to make you miss without moving around all over the place, and then he's going to counter you with one shot, uh clean and his hard shot that he can hurt you with being the left hook. I mean that that to me is you know where he's at his best. He he wa and the consistency just now Canelo he was fighting a guy that he was bigger than, but you know, he, he wasn't really able to do that against Canelo. You know, and, and one thing you got to say about the, the theme I'm going with is credit to Canelo Alvarez when he's been at some of his best that he's been able to box with taller guys and you know uh, you, you got a guy like like a Floyd Mayweather could do that, but but it shows you how tough that is. I mean, um, you know Canelo and Floyd with different styles, but I mean I'm just saying how tough that is to you know. You go far back, you know, Canelo, Swink P, Whitaker could do that, but it, it's you're, you're you see how tough it is to do that, and and Plant could not continue to box the more physically imposing Benavidez. as so this one went more how you know you thought it would go. And then Benavides waited a little bit, decided to start picking up the pace, and and it was impressive how Benavides was able to land at different shots. He really found a home for that overhand right. Um, the other thing that you know, I'm I'm even interested in theories on this because uh, you know, and I think part of it's the opponent being aware of it and and being cautious, but also Plant just not able to do it. Like in his two biggest fights, you know, against Canelo and Benavides. His left hook is best shot, and I'm not just saying that because of the you know Anthony Durrell knockout. I'd said that in his other fights. You know, he he he's not a puncher, he doesn't fight in that style, but when he needs to, he can hurt you with the left hook. And his two biggest fights, Benavides he got it in some. Canelo, he just didn't get it in at all. There there was just something that he was not able to get into position to throw the left hook, and what was even more pronounced against Benavides than it was against Canelo, and Benavides did this after the fight and i don't think benavides was posturing i mean you know plant had nothing on those shots like like the right hand you know i mean you could really see that saturday night i mean did you see when he was desperate later on caleb plant and he was trying to trying to kind of sit down and throw in the right hand i mean that that right hand was just nothing i mean absolutely nothing so that's a big problem for him going forward um he can't he can't hurt you, you know he can't hurt you with anything except that left hook and his two biggest fights he's had a lot of trouble getting it in, so that's where then that he's when he's fighting better people that that leaves him kinda i of you know but now he was able to do that against an older anthony Durrell uh even coming forward a little bit with it, you know he went left hook body left hook head now it shows you when he does that, how he can be effective and, you know, knock who's the geek down twice with it, but we couldn't do it at all against Canelo and Benavides, and, and, and just uh, he, he's, he's unarmed, you know, <laughs> he's unarmed uh, with, without that left hook if, if he can't make you miss. So he was taking a beating. I, I'm surprised, but the heart theme fit again, all these guys, because you can't take the heart away from the winners who, you know, they're, they're actually imposing their will and winning the fight. So I thought eight, all eight guys showed a lot of heart. Plant it looked like he was going to get stopped, and of course, I was thinking of you with your Benavides decision bet. You had to be, you had, you got it, but you had to be sweating. Oh, well, I was sweating it.
0: Sweating. Those last few rounds, I was sweating amazingly because
2: he'd have like a good thirty seconds where he'd land punches, and then the rest of the round he'd just be taking a beating.
3: Yeah, you were, you were sweating that, you were sweating that out those last few rounds, that's for sure. But props to you for making it. Making a good call on it, you know, get the wins, what's important. But, uh, yeah, that was – and Flint showed a lot of heart. I mean, that was legit heart, though, there. I mean, all these guys – and I was just really impressed, you know, the spirit of the boxers and, you know, the, what these guys go through. It was a great night just to show you there. All these guys, just, you know, that was inspiring for the fan. I mean, these guys were taking punishment and, uh, you know, the ones that were – down, taking punishment, but then that, that even the winners, you know, really going for it and imposing their will and, and you know, not being phased by anything. Just a, a lot of heart was shown on this card. And Plant, he looked done. I mean, he really looked done. He, he You know, and Benavides can punch, you know. He, he can punch. He's got a really good offensive skills. So that was a lot of heart hanging in the distance, but, you know, he wasn't winning the fight at that point. That was just out of pride. And, uh, you know, I I think Benavides, to his credit, did all he could to stop him. Couldn't quite do it. But I don't take anything away. I just think it was such a good performance by Benavides. I I didn't have any criticism to Benavides' performance, you know. There were some people kind of critical. I I was in the camp. I didn't quite get it. Uh, I just thought it was, you know, a dominant performance. Uh, His offense was on point. You know, he made the weight comfortably. He still looks to me like the guy, and I totally disagree. I even saw some people saying, oh, this guy would get killed at light heavyweight. I think it's the contrary. I I think, as he said, I agree with him. I mean, I think he's a a stronger guy at light heavy. I think he's got a future there, as long as this boiling down hasn't hurt him over the years. Um, So, you know, I think he'd be very tough at light heavyweight. Um, I agree. When you look at that that division, except for the very top, I mean – um, I don't think he, he, had a, he would have anybody – I'm not saying he'd be afraid of anybody, but, uh, well, really, he doesn't match up bad with Bivol style-wise either because, you know, he, he's he got volume. And, you know, bival would be that jab jumping in and out. But, you know, facing a guy who's got some skill with high volume, that could give him some trouble. And, you know, Beter Biev, you know, would be very strong. He was a heavyweight in the amateurs. But he's getting old. He showed some vulnerabilities against Yard. I didn't think Yard was – I've, I've said for that fight myself, that special. I, I think Peter Biev was, was showing a little bit of age there. So, um, And then the rest of the guys, Benavides doesn't have to be afraid of. Uh, so, um, not saying he's afraid of anybody, but you know what I mean. So, he could do that. And then at 168, there's going to be a lot of fights uh, tie in with what you were saying before. Um, one thing I look at a little differently. I, I think, they, you know, if PBC wants to put the money on it, they can make it. But I, maybe I'm looking at it even a little differently than them. I would think, to me, Morrell is too much of a uh, risk-reward, too much risk for too little reward at this point. Right. Uh, He's a I future know he has, commodity. Right. I know he has that many fights, but, I mean, for Benavides, I mean, I, I think that, you know, this guy is a, yeah. is a, a huge talent, huge skill level, good size. You don't want to be, you know, if I'm David Benavides, kind of, you know, you know how boxing goes like that, even though he hasn't fought Canelo yet, but he's kind of like on the top of the world type thing now. You know, the headliner on a very entertaining pay-per-view with a good crowd, um, an entertaining fight that people liked. Um, he's kind of like on top of the boxing world right now, so to speak. You know, do you want to risk that with a David Morrell who's no – no real reward, but but there's probably a lot of risk there, especially for the name he's got. Um, I don't think so. Um, Andre, I think at this stage, would be less risk. He's got some tricky style, but I don't know if he would throw enough against uh, Benavides to be able to, uh, you know, really threaten him that much. But, you know, it would be interesting. Um, You know, I think there is some pressure on Canelo. But, you know, what's good about when PBC... What you gain when you put like a plant and a Benavides together, we haven't seen the numbers yet, but but I'm thinking, relatively speaking, when you, you consider that ESPN tried to throw a card out there and there was Final Four action gone uh, on, um, I w- I'm going to just guess that these numbers will be solid for that situation. Uh, and then, you know, at that point, you start to build your own commodities because if they are solid, then if you're PBC, you start saying, well, maybe we, you know, pair Benavides up with a a relatively attractive opponent and a good undercard again. And, uh, you know, we just keep building him up. And and even though Canelo's uh, the money guy, we don't worry about it, you know. Um, It can happen. It's happened before in boxing. I mean, you know, look, like we've talked a lot of times, but it was key. You know, um, he had to have the door open, but still, you know, Floyd Mayweather, he fought Oscar De La Hoya. And then on his own, you know, he, he became an attraction. And and you know pulled the biggest numbers ever as as you were correctly mentioning. Um, now this would be a little different. It'd be like kind of Benavides building on his own, but he just fought Plant, who who was in with Canelo, and you know those numbers were good, and you know Plant had had gotten some good you know FS1 ratings before, so you know he's been seen, he's had exposure, you know that that can kind of mushroom and and build up, and and all of a sudden it may seem like it's overnight, but a, a guy's a draw, so. Um, Benavides is in good position now. You know, if if, if Canelo is not going to fight him, then PBC's got to figure. You know, they're probably looking at it like Morel is an attractive opponent. And again, if they put enough money on it, then maybe Benavides take and Morel take the risk. But um, I'm just wondering if they might try to figure out another direction uh, for Benavides that while he's waiting to possibly fight Canelo, uh, he doesn't. White have to take as much risk uh, because, you know, that is looking like a, a big potential fight. I mean, that, that's a fight that sells in the U.S. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't think Bivol Canelo, you know, since you mentioned it, Chris, I mean, Canelo, he's a prideful guy. He might go for avenging it don't blame him. But, you know, I got to say, because it's just the truth, I, I don't think it is being unfair. I mean, look, if you're really, really going to be honest about it, I mean, Bivol is not entertaining. I mean, he's just not. I mean, you know, you can talk about the skill. Um, you, you know, nobody's going to argue that that he's he's skilled in not getting hit and you know landing some punches, but KO percentage is just dropping markedly. He's he's not stopping anybody. He's not dropping anybody. Um, and you know, he's he's in his thirties now. You know, you know, almost you would think maybe somebody's going to say, "Hey, well, let's wait on this guy a little bit because." His offense is getting bivols. Offense is just getting so anemic, even in these wins, that um, I, I've noticed this in all my years watching boxing. when you get, Sometimes when you get a boxer like that, and then the reflexes just slow a little bit, and then that offense just kind of shrivels, then they go from being the boogeyman of danger to all of a sudden there's not... That much there, you know. Um, Like it it seems like it's an overnight thing, but it happens. I'm not saying that's happening to Bivolo in his next fight. I'm not predicting that, but I could see that maybe, you know, a year or two down the road. Um, So, you know, does Canelo want to go for that fight? I mean, it's not a big. I don't think it's a big U.S. seller. I really don't. Um, You know, even though Canelo lost to him. I don't think it's that big of a seller. I don't think it's got that kind of crowd appeal. I don't think Bivol's built that kind of name up in, in the U.S. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Cadello has a certain level of selling. So, I'm just saying, you know, maybe the Benavides, you know, that's the that's probably the bigger fight at this point. Um, I'm not even going to say probably. I think it is. I mean, hey, you know, look, there, there's no, as Al pointed out, it's true. Oh, I mean, well, it there's, definitely there's no,
2: is. 'Cause
3: we already saw right. their first pay per view numbers. Yeah. There there's no um there's no I mean look, Haney's the real lightweight champ, but you know, Tank and Ryan Garcia are gonna fight at one thirty six and it's gonna be huge. So, you know, just saying that I mean, you know, look, if Canelo's gonna fight Benavides, of course you have all the one sixty eight belts there, but I'm just saying like outside of the belts, I'm saying like I don't think it's gonna not sell Canelo is not avenging against Bivol. You know, I'll give Canelo credit for pride if he wants to do that. Um, But he's gonna have to throw more punches. Uh, You know, the, the Benavides is a is a big sell, but the mystery to me about Canelo is I'm not saying he's not getting paid, but I've said it repeatedly. I think it's a good point. I'll keep saying it. I don't know if it's him or his team or both. He he just doesn't seem to be as concerned with his u.s marketability as he should be you know with all the time he spends in san diego all the fights he's had in the u.s you know of course the the mexican Mexican mexican-american fan base uh you know in the u.s um he just doesn't seem to be that focused on that um you know he's fighting you know it's in mexico but he's fighting Ryder, you know Ryder doesn't bring anything additionally, you know, in the U.S. or, you know, to the Mexican or the Mexican fan, it's because it's Canelo, but he's not an opponent that brings anything there, and Canelo's been fighting those kind of guys a lot, we know that, it's true, Um, and you saw when he fought a U.S. guy in plant, the pay-per-view numbers were strong, so, but, again, it doesn't seem to me to really concern him. So why I mention that is because that, to me, directly relates to a Benavides fight. If the U.S. market is really concerning him and before, you know, he ultimately retires and for legacy, if he wants to really, you know, work the U.S. market, you know, you're, you're going to choose an opponent like Benavides, and then look to a Charlo maybe or something. But, you know, Ryder and even Bivol, even though he's got a loss to him, they're just they're just not going to do it. So um, it, it's really where, where does Canelo want to take it. So far he's wanted to take it in the direction of I'm working with Eddie Hearn and as long as I'm getting paid, I'm not really that worried about my U.S. marketability. So, you know, that's been the trend. Yeah, no
2: doubt about it. Any other items you want to talk about, whether it's Ramirez, Comey, or speaking of Ramirez and Dogbo, uh, or dog Bay. And also, you know, AJ's coming back with a new camp and whatnot. Any other items you want
3: to talk about? Yeah, I did. Um, I'd like to focus on the AJ cause I did think that one out. I, you know, I heavyweight is always the marquee division and AJ has been a big seller. Um, you know, like we said, you go back far enough, even when they were, they were pushing them in the U.S. a little bit when, you know, he was on show and had they had to join HBO show with the Klitschko, good ratings, you know, surprisingly good ratings. So, you know, part of that's that's being a heavyweight puncher. So, um, yeah, I think AJ, you know, he's huge in the been huge in the UK. You know, now he's just a heavyweight contender. Um, you know, to me, Fury's still the real champ. He's the millennial champ. Um, so it's a contender making a comeback. I, I there are interesting things to me about going fight with Joshua. I thought a lot about it. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, on both sides of this, there's some significant factors. I think since, you know, Franklin's was kind of an unknown until really the, the and white fight, even though he'd had a chill box appearance, let's face it to most of the boxing world, he was an unknown. I, I think it's worth getting into what he brings to the table in this fight um, I thought he beat white. So, so here's what's in his favor. I mean, I, I I thought he beat white. I thought he should have gotten the decision. Uh, he went over to the UK to do that. So, um, you know, as we were mentioning, uh, you know, with, with guys like, you know, Jorge Lara, who, you know, they gained the UK experience coming in as a, as a, as a B side, but, uh, you know, that pays off then, you know, they have been through that. Um, so, you know, surprisingly, you know, Jermaine Franklin's been through that. So um, he, now he had no real higher-level experience before that. Now he he's, he's fallen in the U.K. He's got some high-level experience. Um, you know, I always think Dillian White is more of a guy at heart who's made the most of what he has in talent. But, you know, he, he is a legit top-10 heavyweight, so you, you've got to be fair there. Um, and I thought he won that fight. But now now here's the, the downside for me to Franklin Um, And this is, I think, what Eddie Hearn and his people selecting opponents are looking at. Um, You know, White, by all evidence, doesn't take that good of a heavyweight shot. And Franklin was not really, you know, he caught his attention, but he he never really hurt him. Um, You know, Joshua probably doesn't take the best shot. Some people want to argue with you on that, but I, I just, you watch him fight. You look at the Ruiz fight. You know, got dropped by an old Klitschko heavily. Um, you know, in first Usyk fight. You know, Usyk not a big heavyweight puncher, wasn't really taking the shots that well. You know, there's evidence he doesn't take the best shot either. So, um, you know, Franklin though could not exploit that against White and was landing repeatedly on White. Uh, so, you know, that's the biggest question for me in this fight. And I'm not saying that maybe Joshua doesn't get to him earlier, but if if unlike the white fight, if, if Franklin can hurt Joshua, I think he's got the chance to pull the huge upset because, um, you know, he's got a style similar to Ruiz in that first fight. You know, Ruiz didn't bring anything in the second Joshua fight, but when he came to fight in the first one, uh, he got dropped heavily early, but then he came back and, and, his style with the hand speed, moving in on Joshua with the quick hands, the combination, that gave Joshua all kinds of trouble. Um, and, you know, at moments you could see Usyk giving him trouble with that. So um, I think that Franklin has a style that could trouble Joshua. But the other thing that worries me about Franklin is it didn't happen throughout the course of the fight, but he, at the end of the of the last round, he did get hurt by White. And I thought that was kind of a bad sign. I mean, White can hurt you with that wild shot, but it was late in the fight, and uh, you know, I thought Franklin was 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 up, definitely up in the fight, and and he, he did get caught at the end. So, you know, it is heavyweights, but I mean, if you're if you're getting hurt by Dillian White, you you know, and Anthony Joshua, you know, he's got good hand speed, he, he's got the offensive firepower. Um, can can Jermaine Franklin take those shots? You know, indications at the end of the fight with White might be he might not be able to. So I, I do think there's a scenario here where Joshua could get him out of there early. But I do think there is a path to victory for Franklin, and I think it would probably require that, He's got a little more power there than it showed against White, and then when he's landing those shots in combination, like he did against White, that he can hurt. He can hurt Joshua. I, I think if that's the case, you know, we could have an exciting fight. But if you look at the way Franklin got hurt at the end of the White fight, I mean, if he can't, if he can't take Joshua's power, um, you know, early on, he's going to go out. He's going to go out early. So uh I'm intrigued enough. You know, I, I mentioned it last week with the Albo Ramos. I didn't pick him to win. Um he didn't win but he but he gave it a good fight and he hurt Crowley. I mean Franklin's such a huge underdog that I see no value in Joshua, you know, for the win here or even the KO. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna pick him to win tonight, but I, I think Franklin's worth a flyer. I mean, with that style, because, you know, he, he can bring a style like Ruiz did in the first fight, but can he punch as hard as Ruiz? You know, Ruiz, that, that weight, you know, when he did land, he's got hand speed. I mean, if he could hurt Joshua... You know, then I think he, he can do some things like Ruiz did and Joshua Ruiz won. Um, but he's also got to be able to take Joshua's shot, and I think that's a question, uh, the way he finished the fight with White. But I think as a flyer, I'm going to pick Joshua to get the KO because I'm I'm concerned about Franklin not being able to punch hard enough from what I saw against White and that he had trouble taking White's shot in the final round. He was in some trouble. And I think that's what Eddie Hearn and his team are looking at. But I do think there's a scenario where Franklin's got the experience now. He's fought against higher-level opposition in white, and he's fought in the U.K. If he can put some hurt on Joshua with the style he's got, then at the least he can turn it into a shootout. So um, I, I do think there's some chances for Franklin if he can bring enough pop in this fight, I think, he's got, you know, I think he's got the skills. If he can take a shot and hang around, he's going to land on Joshua. He's got the hand speed and the skills. So uh, I am interested in the fight for that reason. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that, that'll make it interesting. The other thing I wanted to touch on before I wrap up, because it is really important to me, the, the, there is the next factor on Joshua's side, and that's the, the, the training camp. I mean, I said, you know, when he brought Robert Garcia in, I had to qualify it, and it's a good thing I did. I thought if Garcia is the guy, you know, if he's calling the shots, if he's training Joshua, you know, that that's a huge difference, that that should be enough for him to turn around against Usyk, but then what did we see when the bell opened? We saw Fernandez still in there, you know, giving the main instructions, basically Robert Garcia being like a water carrier. Um and then he's out right after the fight which confirmed that. So that that's not going to do it. Now I've seen pictures of Joshua in Texas, you know, with Charlo and Spence and Derek James, and they're and, and he was over here and training with them. But again, because last time I felt like as a fan observing that we got burned. If he's going to be the guy, you know, that that makes me even more think that Joshua can get his power in on Franklin early and take him out. But you know, we're going to have to see that again. I'm going to have to see that. Is, is Derek James just going to be the guy? or are there going to be other voices in there? I mean, that's another opening for Franklin. If if that fight starts and, you know, Derek James is like Robert Garcia carrying the water, uh, figuratively, you know, that's going to open more of a door for Franklin to me because, you know, Joshua has not been getting good advice in the corner, you know, the, the main advice he's been getting, you know, with Fernandez and then McCracken before that. Yeah, he got far enough, but a lot of the corner advice just wasn't good. So and, and and those were the people that had Joshua's ear. So I'm looking for that again. I looked for it last time. I didn't get what I wanted to see as far as Joshua's concerned. So we're gonna give it another another look if it goes more than around because you have to at least go one round to see what the corner's saying in between rounds. Is Derek James the guy? You know, is it just Derek James there giving the instructions? Is Joshua listening to him? Is Joshua doing what James is telling him to do? I think that does make a big difference, um, and, you know if we see that and Joshua gets an early knockout, hey then he is there is going to be some arguments for him being back on track, but uh, if we see other voices in the corner and you know frank Franklin's able to hang around and start doing some things uh, then then it's going to be talk of is Joshua permanently deteriorated so uh, that'll be interesting Saturday
1: night. <laughs>
2: Yeah, really interesting. That is a good point um about the corner, you know, as long as uh he's not just, you know, giving him some water and, you know, chiming in from time to time and the guy that he's had his corner for a while is is the one, you know, talking to him, then we got a big issue. no doubt about right. that. That's that's very worthy of bringing up and I and I hadn't even thought about that part of it just yet. That's a really good point. I appreciate you joining us, John. You have yourself a good week and uh Enjoy the fights.
3: Thanks, Chris. Enjoyed it as always. Talk to you soon.
2: All right. Take it easy. Take care. All righty. Um, um, just kind of breaking down more of the stuff. We'll get into some preview and whatnot. Um, that Crowley Abel Ramos. I mean, it took Ramos maybe. I mean, the first round was close, but other than that, it took maybe to the fourth uh, for 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 Abel to to win a round um, clearly anyway. Like I said, maybe you gave him the first round. I don't think that's way out of hand or whatever, but, um, in that round, the ref did actually warn him about some low blows, but, uh, you know, he was countering with the right hand, left hook, left uppercut. Um, the fifth round could have been his too. Uh, Crowley was using the jab a little bit more, uh, not as aggressive where you saw Ramos, you know, landing really well. Um, and later in that, I don't know. He did. Uh, he landed off the ropes pretty well because he was on the ropes. And, and a lot of this fight was a phone booth fight. The sixth round, um, definitely a phone booth fight. The body work, the hooks to the head, the few short uppercuts as well from Crowley. I thought he had a nice little sixth and seventh round. Uh, the seventh to like tenth round, uh, Crowley to me was jabbing more. Like I mentioned, he was moving a little bit more. Still won rounds. I thought the eighth round was Ramos, uh, left hooks and right hands. I gave the 11th, obviously, to Ramos, too, that big right hand. Definitely, like, phased Crowley And then, uh, um, well, actually, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a knockdown, was it? Because they took it back. Oh, that's right. So it was a, I think it was a big right hand that, you know, buckled the legs of Crowley no doubt about that, but they did... The only thing I didn't like about... Like, I love the review. I like that we have review in Vegas now, but I don't think they need to stop the fight. Like, if you look at the NBA, um, they'll change the scoreboard after they've looked to make sure that was a three-point shot. You know, it'll just happen. Or the next uh, time out, they'll just change it. They do that in college, too. So I think you can... My point is, the guy was hurt, and so you, you don't want to give, you know, like a major advantage. Now, you are giving, you know, so the guy hurt, but then again, you are giving the advantage to a guy that it was called wrong that the gloves didn't touch the canvas. So I get that part. Uh, close 12th round, competitive round. I gave it to Ramirez. I thought Crawley won like 7-5 at top, 8-4, to four, maybe 7-4-1. Seven five seven four one. He outlanded him, um, barely outworked him, but twenty six percent to like nineteen, I think percent. Uh, Two hundred twenty seven punches landed to one sixty four. Uh, they were pretty even on the jabs, or I mean on the on the body work, forty seven to thirty nine. But the jabs was crawly too, especially in that second half. 114-114, You know, don't don't really agree with that per se. Um, the 115, 113, 116, 112, you know, I definitely thought that that was, uh, you know, a good fight, a great way to start. And like John and others said, that was a good Ramos, too. He came in shape. He was ready to go. It was a great way to start the card. Um, but, yeah, I definitely gave I, – I really liked what I saw out of Rayo Venezuela for most of that fight, I think, you know, he definitely won that fight. Um, I like the way he was mixing up his, his attack, just like Jesus Ramos. I really like what I saw to of him as far as mixing up an attack and whatnot. Um, but I just think, like, the first round obviously could have been a 10-7. Third round was close. Like I said, I gave Chris Colbert the second round. Um, the fifth round was close. Maybe you give it to Colbert, but I definitely gave the fourth and the sixth Um, to Valenzuela, Um, some pot shots, good lands type stuff. Uh, But I thought for Valenzuela in the seventh, I thought the defensive combinations were enough to give that to Colbert. So, like I said, and I gave him the ninth too, after that destructive eighth round, good competitive, both guys landing shots. Colbert was on the attack on the attack in the 10th. I do think, you know, the very last seconds maybe Valenzuela stole it because he closed stronger, but, um, yeah, I thought it was a clear win. Competitive, though, you know, no doubt about it, but a clear win. Um, you know, that, I think he did get screwed on that. Um, as far as, uh, do, 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 oh, Kevin Gonzalez stays unbeaten. He beat Jose San Martin. Uh, pretty cleanly, you know uh, He won a 10-rounder uh, Quez uh, Won, you know, like a Whatever type fight He won a clear decision, though um, In that fight, I think it was a, I think it was a It was a 10-rounder, correct? It's only his Like a sixth fight or whatever, I think Seventh fight, that was the seventh fight um, So he looked pretty good um, and then I didn't get to see Zamora, but I did hear that, you know, he fought after. I think that's the one that they uh, – yeah, that was the uh, the swing bro. And I think he won by third-round knockout. So, yeah, I mean, David Benavides has options. I think they should probably let Morell get, you know, who's got a G and then Shishkin. If he fought those two guys, one in the summer, one to close up the year, that would be a great year for him, I think. Uh, because, you know, say what you want about Muscadji, he's never been stopped, so I think that's important for a young fighter to go against tough guys, and he looked pretty good against Shishkin. Now, you may say, well, Chris, he, he just beat him. Why would you want to see that? I mean, I hear you. I'm not saying that, you know, go right to Shishkin. That's cool. I just think Shishkin's kind of in a different, uh, you know, area there as far, or not area, but uh, ranking system. He's a little higher in certain those two fights, I think, would be good. I think Andre would be a good matchup. That's who I think that Benavidez should fight next, obviously assuming that there's not a Canelo fight. Now, Canelo could, you know, change his mind, and, and, you know, or maybe say, hey, it is at 168, and, and maybe Bivo wouldn't want to do that. Who knows, you know? Who really knows? We don't know, so you know i'm not totally sure about that um oh okay so as far as wrapping up some of that espn stuff cuz we have gone really long the uh murtaya against uh galino galindo or whatever that was a good fight i mean that umberto brought the pressure right away um first round like Big left hook, big right hand, drops uh, Murataya, and I was like, okay, and I gave him the second round, too. I thought he brought more pressure with it, landed shots, you know, with both hands, but then I was impressed how Raymond uh, Murataya just kind of calmed down, got behind the jab, started landing the left hook to the body, uh, multiple right hands. Um, He scored a left hook to the body in the fourth round for a knockdown. Um, and it was a nice move, too, because he was actually, uh, Murtaya was in the corner. Murtaya. Is it Murtaya or Murtaya? I think it's Murtaya. Anyway, he was in the, the corner, and he, and he just kind of turned him, like a quick little clinch turned him, and then landed a left hook and dropped him. It was really crafty. Uh, he just, for most of the fight, he, he was beating him to the punch at range, using the jab, showing he's got good footwork. Uh, the 6th and 7th were definitely two-way. You know, I thought that Murtaya was in, in control, though. He started turning up the heat again in the 8th round, uppercuts with the right hand, body work, and then the left hook, um, the combination of a left hook and a right hand uh, left to the body, uh, you know, I think it scored a knock. Was it two knockdowns or just that? Yeah, it was just that one knockdown left took to the body. Scored a KO, stopped the fight. So it was really, it was a good fight for him. Good performance. And, hey, he got knocked down. He got back up, got his shit together. I thought he lost two rounds and then, you know, showed a little bit better defense and just more versatility, but yet bringing the power as well. And I heard that now he's got a big fight. We'll talk a little bit about that. He's going to be on the undercard. Against a, a solid vet fighter Which I'm really excited about that Fight for him so He, he had a good showing yeah he got knocked down But that, this might be the best thing for him Take a little time off get back in the gym And then uh, have a big fight May 20th uh, As far as the the main event Ramirez and Kobe, good fight I mean right from the jump It was action out of the gates You know it really was Um Also uh Estrada, Estrada Senecia Estrada was on the card um, She dominated Really the fight um, Her left hook To the body and the head was Impressive just throwing Combinations just using Her wits about her she dominated The fight good fight Though but she was pretty cleanly Dominating
0: um,
2: but anyway um, it's, You know I couldn't give Comey Too many rounds I definitely gave him – there was a close round. I gave him the ninth, you know. Um, the tenth was definitely two-way as well. But um, these guys were slugging it out first, second, third. I mean, they they were going at it. Um, so I'm not saying you couldn't find a round in there. But Comey would land – like in the fourth round, midway landed a big right hand. But Ramirez finished better. He flurried back. He was landed hooks to the body, uppercuts. Um, hooks on the inside, just in general. That was a close round. Maybe the fourth round you could give to... Actually, I'm just looking at my scorecard. i got to wake up here. Yeah, the fourth. The fourth and the ninth is what I gave to Komei. Feeling pretty confident about that, especially the ninth, too. I mean, he had a very good round. You could say that was his best round. He was, what, 25 to 8 was the punch stat? And a lot of it had to do with the jab. The second half of the fight, Komei was using his jab a lot more... Because by the fifth round, he was starting to wear down. When he was spending too many long spints on the rope. Ramirez beating him up, winging right hands, winging left hands to the body. Um, but, yeah, I thought Comey fought pretty good. He was showing more life in the sixth and seventh. You know, um, like I said, moving a little bit, even using the jab, staying off the ropes. Uh, that was a big thing. Tenth round was a two-way round, like I mentioned, too. But then Ramirez left hook. Kind of to, like, I don't know if it's the chin or, like, the neck, Adam Zappa style. I swear it kind of landed there, which, you know, caused the knockdown. He was definitely faded from it. And then Ramirez, you know, had Comey on the ropes, letting off shots to the body and head, and it was a body shot that caused a knockout. So a lively crowd per usual there. Great crowd, good energy,
1: in a good-ass
2: fight, multiple fights. It was really good, so that was fun, um, no doubt about it. And then um, um Beely and Gongora, and Beale in, in Gongora. That was um, that was a good fight. That was Thursday night. The commentary, though, I mean, the whole you got to step around. You got to step around. Do this. You gotta, don't do that. Don't. Do, I mean, he was basically coaching. The the fighter in Beeley. it was kind of weird, dude. I'm not a big fan of that. It reminded me some of those uh, some of those uh, pay-per-view, like discounted pay-per-view fights from uh, Puerto Rico years and years ago um, where ca- the captain's out there, hang on, I got to stop talking on the mic and screaming at the, you know, screaming at the freaking fighter on what to do. It was a little weird, you know. It's kind of like in the way they were – like I understand, we all know the A side's going to get a little bit, or going to sometimes get a lot more talk and whatnot, right? Instead of just calling the fight, that's normal. I'm not trying to separate it, but the way they were talking about Mbili, like I'm, I'm actually scared off Gungora being able to take those shots. I'm scared for him, and it's like, dude, just call the fucking fight, dude. Calm the fuck down. It was just weird. Step around, step around. It was just, it was kind of weird. But anyway. The first round was really, really close. Um, the second half of the, 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 the round, Gangora may have landed uh, enough clean shots to get it, but for sure the second round. the left uppercut, uppercut. Uh, the left uppercut had, you know the home guy on shaky legs right away. cleaner shots overall. but I did think uh, Mbilily came back and then put rounds together. the third, the fourth, the fifth. He was out working them, um, landed to the body with both hands. I thought that was pretty good. I thought Gangora got the better of the shots on the move um, in the sixth. Um, the eighth was very close. That could have been a 10-10 round the ninth, you know, or I should say the seventh was very competitive too. Gangora seemed like he buzzed with a left uppercut, buzzed, um, and Bealeigh. Uh, great action the last, like, minute plus, 75 seconds or whatever. Because, it, it, uh, you know, Mbili responded and landed several big shots after that. I gave him the ninth two uh, big right hands early and then some body punching and whatnot. Although, it was a great round. The ninth round was a great round because Gangora he landed his fair of uh, big shots and, and closed pretty well, too. I gave him Mbili the, the last one was landed the heavier shots in the last minute, so I had it 6 4 four, six three one seven to 3 something like that 99-91, um, didn't see that 98-92, didn't really see that, but I'm close to it on 7-3 to three, obviously, and then 97 I thought that was okay uh, Lawrence Coley got a win too, nothing too crazy there um, kind of, I know we're going super long on this, so I don't know if I want to Boring you there, but yeah, it was it was a pretty slow fight for a goalie. I guess it's nice to just get hit back, you know,
0: in, in, in that type of thing.
2: Uh, Lyndon Arthur uh, against Boris Crinton, I think it was. That was kind of an interesting fight as it wore on. Uh, Boris definitely like landed some good shots down the stretch. Um, Arthur kind of started on the outside with the jab. Then he kind of added the jab right hand as the fight wore on. Uh, Boris started catching, uh, Arthur with some big wild right hands. I mean, it seemed like anything this dude threw, it was wild, you know, and don't get me wrong. He, he followed him up with left hooks and whatnot, but a lot of big right hands. There was a short left hook that started landing better for, for Arthur, um, really starting to land his right hand. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, to me, he was reaching with the, both these guys were reaching, but I thought Arthur was reaching a little bit too much with his right hand. Um, there was a knockdown, a flush right hand in the last round. I think it was the tenth round. Um, but overall, uh, you know, Arthur got through a rough patch there. Uh, so that that probably that probably sums it up. Now, as far as um, you know. Anthony Joshua, Franklin, like I said, I like this opponent. I don't think this is some sort of shitty fight or anything, considering, you know, coming off of back-to-back losses. um, We know he had a pretty convincing win, I would say, against Rydell Booker a while back. Um, The Jerry Forrest, that split decision, the Jerry Forrest, that was a big win for him. Because Forrest was getting, you know, a little steam. Some people thought he did enough to beat Gillian White. Um, it was a close fight. It was a close fight. I just think that, you know, he is a tall dude. You know, not, I mean, he's a big dude. He's a pretty big dude. Maybe actually, um, not necessarily tall. I meant like his reach. Because I don't think he's, I think he's like six two six three.
0: But he does have
2: a significant amount of reach. He's a, he's a quality fighter, so I think this isn't going to be a, a rollover or anything like that. And Like I said, coming off of two defeats and um, three losses in his last five, I like this for Joshua. I don't, I don't see the problem with this fight at all. I am kind of looking forward to see how he does it. I think he'll win. I think he can knock him out, but either way, I think it'll be a clean decision. But I could see a late TKO, but... I don't know. Let's see how aggressive, like strategically aggressive, you know, he'll be. And and then Howard Jermaine, you know, how's he going to react? Is he going to be on the move more? Because we've even seen a guy like Parker who's not great on the outside as far as being able to move. He likes to fight at range. Or when he was younger, he liked to brawl with you. Um, He would kind of fight at range and then brawl, get a little tired. Fight at range again, brawl that type of thing, Parker. My point is, he was doing pretty good on the outside, and like I said, he's not known as an outside guy. So, will Franklin get in there and move a little bit more? You know, does he have the physique and stamina to, to move like that? I think people kind of forget when it comes to, uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, but anyway, I do think he'll. I think he'll win the fight like I said I wouldn't be shocked at a, you know, at a at a knockout. I think it'll be more mid to late, probably eighth round and on. So I think he'll take his time. But when he's on his jab, when he, you know, when he, when he's got a guy in front of him that's not moving a lot, we know Anthony Joshua could be, especially for his size and the heavyweights, a very fluid, offensively gifted fighter, fundamentally sound in many ways offensively, not defensively can move a little bit on the outside. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it'll be more of a rough fight. Maybe Jermaine will actually bring it to him and, and try to be on his chest and, uh, you know, rough his ass up. We'll see. But I, I do like seeing, I think Joshua wins. Um, there's a lot of prospects, uh, the Var- Vargas, uh, Jermaine Milton, um, Delante Johnson Tucker. A lot of prospects as far as that um that card on ESPN plus, by the way, not on ESPN this weekend. Uh but Robisi Ramirez and Isaac Dogbay And Joaquin Gonzalez actually is fighting as well. He's fighting uh, he's fighting uh Vives, I think it is. Yeah, Vives. Um he had that pretty close loss. Um Last year to Baez, um, had a good fight with Via as well, like a decent fight. I mean, he didn't win in many rounds, but he was game or whatever. But I do like uh, Joet, you know, to Joet to to go off there. But this Ramirez fight, I I really like this fight for or Dogbo for Ramirez. I really like this fight. Uh, You know, he he took on Abraham Nova. Romero, Matias Romero. Um, I just think that you know, after losing that first fight, um, they've moved him kind of smartly, right? But now they're stepping him back up, and uh, you know, maybe it kind of started with winning that six rounder again, you know, avenging his loss or whatever. But this is a this is a big step up. Now, Dogbo is a damn good fighter. He's only been stopped once, and that was late. I think that was the 12th. Was it 11th or 12th? I think it was the 12th round against Navarrete. Um, So I expect him to be game in the fight. You know, he's... It's funny because he beat Avios at that pretty clean, but the Adam Lopez, Diaz, and Gonzalez, all three of those, you know, majority decision, majority decision, and split decision. I I don't feel too... Like, I think he beat Diaz. Lopez, you could make an argument he lost to. Some people thought he lost to Joette as well. Um, he's been hanging in there. Let's put it that way. So, you know, he's gotten three quality wins if you want to say that he won all three of those fights. But, the, you know, that's boxing. It is what it is. Um, Ramirez has just steadily improved. You know, you can see the skill was written all over him even before he entered the pros, obviously. But I actually think he's going to win, and I think he's going to stop him. I do think he's going to stop him. I was talking to um, it was a space. Who the hell?
0: Because it's.
2: I mean, dog. If you if you like dog bay or dog boat, plus five twenty, plus four fifty, plus four seventy five. It's out there. It's definitely out there. So if you like him, go for it, man. Um, because, you know, it's got good value. Uh, but yeah, I'd like, I think uh, Ramirez gonna, I think he's gonna stop him. His hand speed, his explosiveness, Bo is definitely on the downside, I would say. Um, and I actually, betting wise, I do have uh, the under. I think it was like a plus, let me check really quick, I think it was like a plus number. Well, it was definitely a plus number, I think it plus 124, if I remember correctly. Something's going on. With Here we go. 10.5 uh, plus 124. Um, so that's a good number. Can he get it done before sometime in the 11th? I think he can. I think he can. I think he will. So I'm, I'm picking him by knockout later. Like I said, the hand speed, the accuracy, the, the explosion, explosiveness type guy. I think he's gonna do it. I think he's gonna do it. Um, that wraps it up. On that, we'll just finish with some news. Shouts out to Portland five hundred three host Sway. He's uh kind of busy tonight, so he's gonna be. He's just kind of listening in. Always, uh, you know. I always respect and you know. Appreciate his support. Um, so we have. Did you, did you, Where to go? Where to go? Where to go? Shoot. So I'll just go over some fight news. You know, as we <coughs> get down to the nitty gritty, there's like seven minutes left of the pod, so we'll just do some fight news. We did hear that Haney and Lomachenko is 100% official. May 20th is it? It's on pay per view. Uh, they will be doing a $60 pay-per-view. And Murtaya, the dude I was just talking about, he's taking on uh, Nakasila, the guy who put on a, a good effort anyway um, against Stevenson. Shakur was like, man, that dude could punch. I think where he's at, coming off a fight where he just got dropped, but he came up and looked good. I, I, I like the fight. I like that fight. It's a real prospect fight. By the way, tickets for Haney and Lomachenko at the
0: MGM,
2: they start at $104, and they go on sale this Friday at 1 Eastern, 10 Pacific. So that's high noon here. All right? So make sure you grab them. Really looking forward to that. Um, it's, a, it's a good card, man. I, I like what they got. Now, it's kind of funky, like on the surface. It's a little funky because, um, you know, they, uh, they only have three fights on the card. So it's going to start an hour later, which is, like I said, a little funky. But they are going to have uh, Nakatani and Maloney for that WBO title. That, I believe, I believe that's going to be on the broadcast, the ESPN broadcast. Um, so look out for that. So, so yeah, there's only three cards. It's a $60 pay-per-view, but there's only three fights on there. I'm assuming they're going to do it on ESPN plus as well. I would assume, by the way, sky sports in the UK, they're going to get that. Just a heads up. Um, Oh yeah. Someone reminded me about the Duncan and Melendez. That was a great fight on pro box. Good call. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Um, What's the other fight on there? Why can't I think of the other fight? Oh, uh, Oscar Valdez and Adam Lopez, which is going to be a good action fight. I didn't really see this coming. I thought Valdez was going to fight Navarrete, but I guess he wants to have a fight and see if he can get through it injury-free. But there are going to be two fights on ESPN. That's according to reports. Keith, I reported it as well and Nakatani and Maloney, the other one hasn't been announced. I'd assume that'd be, like, the main event of the prelims. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting there. Um, the uh, Myra, Myra Less and Mo, Mil, Milanta, that was a good fight, too. I'm glad somebody reminded me of that, definitely. Also, um, Baluta. Baluta and Andrew Kane. That was a great fight. That was worth going back um, because Valuta, he got freaking dropped um, not once, but twice, actually, yes. Twice in the first round and came back. That was a good fight. I didn't score it, but that was a good fight. And by the way, this is Al Dawson. It's worth noting that David Benavidez, TGB, Mexican Independence Weekend and all that good stuff, right? So, right now, they do have a hold September 16th on the MGM Grand. Something to think about. Okay? So, they're obviously going to make an offer and whatnot. Maybe he's going to fight there regardless. You know Who knows? I really don't know exactly who. Um, we do have some other fight news. By the way, um, that whole Munguia and Bibble stuff, it's just from the sounds of it, it's not true. They're actually trying. And June June 10th, there was talks about Munguia and Bivol fighting, which I thought it's like, come on, dude. Like, so he's going to go up the light heavyweight? It just doesn't make sense. But that's bullshit. It sounds like that they're actually uh, we're not thinking. Uh, Beltron said we're not thinking of Bivol. Jaime has the date, with his own for June 10th. Um, they're looking to make that Golovkin fight or something else. So I'm glad to hear that. Yes, we've been talking to Tom Loeffler, GGG's promoter Beltron, This is from Boxing Scene. The truth is that there have been uh, that there have been actual discussions. We want to close it as soon as we can. We love the fight with Golovkin and all that. So yeah, that's a much better fight than you know the Bibble stuff. I mean, we don't we don't need them fighting Bibble. Like come on, dude, come on. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see though. You know, if Franklin does uh, box from the outside, um, and then if it gets up close, you know, go for it. Okay, so on one hand, we're hearing Ben Pacquiao, then we're hearing now Ben Ubang Jr. in Abu Dhabi, but Sutherland said there's no truth to that. There's no guarantee of that or nothing like that. Here's some from Sky Sports too, Lawrence you who won. Um, Sounds like he's got an opportunity to jump straight back in the ring against WBO cruiserweight titleist Chris Byland-Smith at a stadium. That would be a great fight, and he didn't take a bunch of damage, so we'll see. Now, um, you know, the Fury of Uthic, I don't know. I mean, we kind of know where it stands, but I have no clue. You know, I have no clue, so I'm not going to Eddie Hearn has stated that they're already close to making that Canelo in a rematch later this year so I I really feel like that's going to happen you know what I mean I feel like that's going to happen Um, but yeah they're, they're really there's heavy talk Sunsport a couple different places uh saying June 3rd in Abu Dhabi that Chris Eubank Jr. and Connor bet and that's such a weird fight now because it's like I mean it was already a weird fight of course but it's really weird. Now, by the way, Boots Ennis says, "That time again. See y'all soon. Fight day or fight date on the way. So that'd be pretty dope." Mark Ortega says on Twitter, "Between fights taking place in Las Vegas and Fresno last night, more than thirty thousand tickets were sold between two uh, boxing events that were televised. But boxing in the U.S. is dead. They tell us. Yeah, no shit, right? That's that's definitely a great." great look at that all right I think we're going to shut it down here um, not too much to talk about unfortunately Tashara uh, Kinshiro Tashara is it Terrara anyway he's not fighting because uh, Jonathan Gonzalez had pneumonia so that he had to withdraw from that that's kind of a bummer um, it does sound like a top rank announced that Stephen Fulton and Inouye will be rescheduled in July. so that's good news. Uh, but yeah a lot of back and forth of the fights off, then the fights on, the fights off between Usyk and, and Fury side and you know I don't know. it has been quiet the last couple of days, so maybe that's a good sign. We do have a May on ESPN plus, which has been really delivering. Uh, the tickets go on sale on Friday as well. Ticketmaster. Luis Alberto Lopez um, against Michael Conlon in Belfast, live on ESPN at the SSE Arena. That's a good fight. I don't know if we announced that last. uh... That's a good fight. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll see you back next Monday. Peace. Or Tuesday. (laughs) Later.